0: The following episode contains explicit material that may be difficult for certain listeners, as one of the films featured has a heavy focus on the Ku Klux Klan and the rape of a child. As mentioned before on this podcast, we respect and believe victims of sexual assault, and we firmly support Black Lives Matter and equity and inclusion for all people of color. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone calls 1994's The Client a high-voltage charge of suspense... And humor. Roger Hebert of the Chicago Sun Times calls 1996 as a time to kill, a skillfully constructed morality play that pushes all the right buttons and arrives at all the right conclusions. And about the Blu ray 3 pack that also includes the Pelican Brief, Amazon.com reviewer CAR says, Each of these movies has so much to give to the viewer. Kind of like that I can store all three movies in one package. Messes up the alphabetical and the rest of my collection, but I can deal with that issue. I am a movie fanatic and would recommend all three movies to anyone. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Joel Schumacher's adaptations of John Grisham novels, The Client and A Time to Kill.
1: Re reboot. Which one
2: will it be? It's
3: the Moon Childhoods Podcast.
2: Greetings, Starfighters. <laughs> is
0: that Kevin Spacey or is that Tommy Lee Jones?
2: Oh well, that's uh, any attorney in the state of Louisiana in any. Or of the novels or oh, uh, of John Tennessee Richem. working out of Memphis. I got an office up in Memphis too.
0: And we're going
2: to be, <laughs> we're going to be talking
0: uh, quite a bit about Memphis later on because we're going to have our, uh, our legal consultant, Laura Richardson, who uh, spent some time clerking for a judge in Memphis. Uh, so she's got a lot to say, but we're going to get to her later on. But yes. for right now, we're talking Grisham's baby.
2: Yeah, but before we do, John, any any one more things for us? For
0: Flatliners. Flatliners, for flatliners the last one we did? It, they, oh, my God. They all blend together at a certain point. <laughs> I don't have anything really to mention about flatliners, other than as I was reading more and more reviews for, for the 1990 version or the 2017 version. It just made me a little sad, because people really like to trash on flatliners, and it, Uh, People seem to acknowledge that, like, yes, it's a really cool idea, but they just don't love the way that it's done. But you just have to celebrate the weirdness
2: of the way that it was done. It's a it's a gothic. It's a it's like Frankenstein. That's we talked about it. It it is in the spirit of Frankenstein. And I, I like I don't know what people are expecting. But like, look, and it showed off such an impressive cast. And and, you know, it was like you know 1990 and the the world was in love with Julia Roberts and yeah. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland was Hollywood's bad boy and there was Kevin Bacon
0: <laughs> so this is this is our last episode in our month of Joel Lie Joel Lie celebration of the late great Joel Schumacher and um, on the last episode I can't remember did I talk about the th- one of the themes that I found throughout his movies about the cars that are in it, the automobiles. Uh, I think we touched on
2: it with with Grandpa's truck from the Lost Boys okay, and, and yes, Kevin Bacon's truck.
0: Yes. Oh, so, so did, right. So I'm uh, watching more falling down. F- falling down. Did yeah. we not talk about falling down with that? I I don't think that we
2: touched on falling down with where the, the a major thing. traffic jam is yeah. a huge plot point and in the movie yeah, starts in his because car.
0: His car is. Very his, much his reflective of his yeah, personality. Defense. So we'll get to the client and a time to kill in a little bit. But I also watched a film also featuring uh, our podcast's former guest, Keith Coogan, the movie Cousins. Uh, in which he co-stars with Ted Danson, Isabella Rossellini, Mm -hmm. um, Sean Young. Sean
2: Young, it was in that, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, I had never seen Cousins. I watched it for the first time the other night. Uh, Laura joined me. She couldn't take her eyes off of it. She was like, this is such a weird movie, but I just can't stop watching it. Uh, (laughs) For anybody who is unfamiliar with Cousins, I feel like it kind of flew under the radar and isn't talked about much lately. But it is, it's funny because uh, if you read the synopsis online, it's usually just like, two couples meet at a wedding and decide to wife swap. And it's like, that is not what it's about. I haven't seen Uh, it in
2: a long time, but no.
0: Essentially, there is a big family wedding and the wife of the son of the groom uh, sleeps with the husband of the... Daughter of the bride, and this is no, 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 but- not not the not the son of the groom. It's the uh, nephew of the groom, so they were then cousins. So uh, they sleep together, and it's kind of like a weird situation where, like, he is a total womanizer, sleeps around all the time, and. She is kind of like a free spirit, and their relationship isn't an open relationship, but they've kind of they realize that they're not right for each other. And is that S- William Peterson. William Peterson, yeah. Yeah. Of, and uh, Lloyd Bridges is the father. Lloyd Bridges is Ted Danson's father, and he's so good. And he and Keith Coogan have so many amazing scenes together.
2: I really you know, love their relationship. I haven't I, I haven't seen that movie like since probably it first aired on HBO. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it on and off because I remember Keith Coogan's character had that big camcorder. Yeah, that he I thought was, was so cool. Ted
0: Denson's son and like he was always uh, making these videos and they always like he made a, a wedding video of that first wedding. Oh, he and catches, had, like, he catches doesn't he catch them? Well, he catches them, but also, like, he splices in footage of, like, starving kids in Africa and things like that, and, like, people gorging themselves on cake. And it's.
2: Oh, oh, right. Amazing. That, oh, wow. I remember th- it's so, you know what? And and you're right. And this wasn't, um, it was based on a French movie, uh, Cousin Cuisine. Right. And it was released February 1989. So part, part of a, a really exceptional year in movies, which we are going to talk yeah. about another exceptional year in movies today, 1994. Oh my God. Right.
0: Wow. So uh, just real quick, the only reason why I'm bringing up Cousins now is because yes, it features one of the Joel Schumacher trademarks, which is uh, Ted Danson's character, well, and his son Mitch, played by Keith Cooey, and they live in this weird apartment. It's really eclectic, and right outside of the windows are like, all these like neon lights and like this neon dragon from like a Chinese restaurant. So there's a lot of like vibrant colors and like popping like reds in the backgrounds of all these shots, and that's very Joel Schumachery. Also, Ted Danson's character drives this like antique motorcycle with a sidecar and it's the vehicles that he includes for these people plus the it also in contrast to william peterson's characters uh bmw the movie starts off with him yelling at his daughter about how she can't mess up his leather seats
2: there is no way that that blanket is going in this car No, 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 not this time. This is a brand new $25,000 BMW 325 E5 with leather interior. Tom,
4: it's just a car. Oh, come come on. I just armor all the seats.
0: Everything is about how he sells BMWs. He always talks about how he sells BMWs, but he works at a Subaru dealership. And, but he's like, but I, I sell BMWs, like, because maybe a used car comes in there every now and then, or they, they have some BMWs. I don't understand how that
2: quite works. Maybe BMW stands for, for something else when he says it.
0: Nope. It's, they are BMWs, Bavarian Motor Works. He gets into all the nitty gritty.
4: Christ, you 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 will not believe what happened to us. The goddamn car broke down. Where is everybody? Oh, Jesus, I didn't know it was this late. Are you okay? Oh,
5: Tom was just giving me a test drive in his car. We lost track of time. Tom sells BMWs.
0: I thought they were Subarus. I understand you're in the
2: market for a new car.
5: We are, aren't we, honey?
2: Your wife and I have been talking about putting a set of wheels under you at a price you can afford. Not just any set of wheels. We're talking about the Bavarian Motor Works. I think a BMW is a little out of our range.
5: Besides it breaking down all the
0: time, so yeah, vehicles is a really big one, and that comes into play in uh, in some major ways in, in the, the client we're in, in the client for sure right
2: from the start,
0: right from the start, and then uh, in A Time to Kill, Sandra Bullock's character and also um, Oliver Platt's, Oliver Platt's character. character, you know, they have these very noticeable cars that they drive, both of them German convertibles.
2: But also, in, it's also interesting to note, like the characters that don't have cars. Like Jake doesn't have a car
0: at all. No, 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 he does. Uh, at the beginning, he says that his car is like in the shop, but oh, he gets right. it back because uh, remember he like parks it all crazy in front of the office. He has a sob.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. He okay. Has a sob so,
0: so well, and it- but also in a time to kill, the pickup truck. Uh, oh yes, in the beginning. So. Oh yes, so, so before we get to that, Dan, do you have any one more things from Flatliners?
2: Well, geez, John, but uh, no, but I'm going to keep going on this cards thing just because you knew we were having one uh, expert guest on today. You yep. didn't realize you're having two because um, for those of you new to the program, I uh, when I'm not podcasting and not parenting and doing the things that on the honeydew list that my wife gives me. I am also a teacher of language arts, a high school teacher in the Seattle area. I teach ninth grade language arts. And one of my big deals, one of my big, uh, and I've been planning for the, for, for the coming school year now, and, uh, which I'll be teaching much in the way that we're having this conversation right now, mm-hmm. uh, probably not on Squadcast, probably zoom, but, uh, yeah. you're not going to um, do it on a, on a platform designed for podcast recording, um, remotely, I, Depends on the project. I might at sometimes. I mean, podcasting is something that I'm looking into having my kids do as an option. Well, we can
0: talk about that. Yeah, that's that's not for now. now.
2: That's not for now. But uh, I one of my big uh, one of the big ties is the use of cars as symbols in Hmm. different in in the different novels that we read. And, you know, that. In in one book, they stand, you know, a car represents someone's status in life. So you mm. have one character who's, you know, you know the, all the other characters envy them because they drive a nice T-bird. And meanwhile, like, you, you have one book that starts with, like, you know, this crappy old car breaking down in the middle of the desert. So huh, okay, the cars are pretty strong symbols. We notice it more in literature because writers tend to... You know, shine the spotlight on that, but it, 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 in film as well, and in film based on literature.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and actually, if we want to go back even further for Joel Schumacher, he got his start, uh, I think one of the first things he wrote was Car Wash. And uh, one of his first uh, movies that he directed was DC Cab. So he's got CARs in the DNA. <laughs>
3: all that right John I'm
0: sorry
2: no that was great uh no, that was it wasn't. great no the old, no I'm I'm sorry I refuse to just, I'm gonna bang I'm gonna bang the gravel bang okay. the gavel. that's an in joke for you and me bang the gavel and rule rule on that as acceptable. We're gonna see some
0: we're gonna see hear about some gavel banging for sure I will sustain
2: the wordplay.
0: So, on this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we're going to talk about the films of Joel Schumacher that were adaptations from John Grisham novels.
2: Because he did two.
0: Yes. And these are the two, The Client and A Time to Kill. The Client was from 1994, A Time to Kill 1996. And even though they are... Well, I think A Time to Kill is more of a courtroom movie than The Client is, but they're thrillers. Well, the client is more of a thriller, but it's, they're they're very exciting movies in very, very different ways. And they still very much have Joel Schumacher's fingerprints all over them, much in the way that Mark Sway's fingerprints are all over the car. We'll get into that. Sustained. (laughs) Uh, So Dan, do you want to talk about anything before we launch into the client?
2: Yeah. um, I guess I'll, personal history because and it's just the fact that we're doing that we're doing this episode over the summer the john grisham books are notoriously great beach reads and i remember bringing them on our our trips down to georgia okay. so whereas whereas georgia is not as featured in uh grisham's novels not as much as as tennessee louisiana mississippi that was where I read those books. And I remember, I think, I think I might've read a time to, I think I might've read The Firm first. I read it. I definitely read A Time to Kill when we were in Georgia. Okay. And I read The Client as well. I think those are the three that I've read. I might've read another John Grisham book at some point.
0: I know I read The Client and it must've been your copy because I don't know, I can't imagine myself going to the Cranford, New Jersey Public Library being like, where's the Grishams, please? Uh, so I'm sure that it was just on the shelf. And I was like, oh, I'll I'll read a hard chapter book. And uh, I remember reading, <laughs> starting to read The Client. And uh, our mom was just like, oh, so uh, what's happening in your book? She clearly like hadn't read it. And I was like, oh, well, um, the one kid is teaching the other kid how to smoke a cigarette.
2: And she was like, great. <laughs> great. Glad you're reading. <laughs> I really thought she had read. I know. She, I'm pretty sure she read the firm because actually, when when the film, well, this is
0: the client, not the
2: firm. Yes. I, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, but she was aware of John Grisham movies. Like I, I saw the firm with her.
0: Right, but um, this might have been before the client was a movie. I Possibly.
2: Know. I mean, I think I think. I. I By I apologize
0: if anybody can hear my dog. There's a, a lot of activity going on in our building today, and uh, she's going a little
2: cuckoo bananas. Not at all. Dogs are also a big feature here. More yeah. in a time to kill. Yeah. But yeah, so I remember reading these books. I remember really loving... The client, and I thought Susan Sarandon was was cast perfectly as Reggie Love, and we'll talk more about that. I remember real like A Time to Kill, though, really was the one that got me. And hmm. it's the one I recommend to my students. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, why was it? Because and we'll talk more about the movie, but I was like, it's not my favorite movie, Grisham adapt- adaptation, which I mean, the client is but it was my favorite book of his and i think that it's just at the time that when i read it when you know 13 14 15 a time to kill You don't have to know a lot to get like I didn't know a lot about organized crime and Uh things like that. So that even though like we grew up with our father, I was thinking about it. I was like, we probably had all these like files in our house and had no idea because he was a prosecutor in Essex County, New Jersey. Right. And then Union County. But yeah. uh, I don't don't know what you mean. There's no uh,
0: no mob presence in New Jersey. (laughs) No, no, that's no, that's just TV. It's not it's Like fa- one of the most famous television shows uh, is about that exact thing.
2: Hey, you know what? One of the other most famous television shows on that same on that same channel is Game of Thrones, which is about dragons, which don't exist. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs>
0: except, except outside of the window of Ted Danson's apartment in Cousins, in form of neon. Correct Back to Schumacher. Oh, wow. Back yes. to Schumacher.
2: Well, anyway, I read these books, and when the movies started coming out, I saw uh the firm, the pelican brief, and the client and a time to kill. And the difference. And I was like, the, the firm and pelican brief are really well made. And we've got Julia Roberts.
0: Yeah, I watched the Pelican Brief for the first time recently, and it just like Didn't do it for me. It is slow. It is slow. And also, there's a lot of like decisions that happen where I'm just like, what? And also, when Denzel Washington, anytime he takes notes, he takes like the worst notes. If you watch that movie and you look at the notes that he's taking, he's He's never going to be able to use those notes. An hour later, he's gonna be like, "What?" Yeah, he's like, "What was I even thinking?" Of yeah, that? I don't even know. Is this a shopping list? Yeah, the firm. I the firm is very long, but it's also pretty slow. And it's, yeah. yeah, the
2: firm definitely has the firm has much more exciting parts and great performances an awesome cast. Uh, also, Oscar nominated. Like Holly Hunter was nominated for that.
0: Yeah, and I will watch it again. I think that the last time I watched it might have been at your place when you first moved to Seattle. You were in like a temporary living situation, and I was like babysitting, and I think I put on the firm.
2: You might have. <laughs> uh, I know. I mean, that's m- my wife. That's one of her favorite movies. She said she's seen ah. it at least twenty times. Whoa! Yeah. I can vouch for being there for, I think, at least three of those. Wow. And yeah, I've seen it a fair number. It's a good movie. And and I want to, you know, we're going to circle back around to those other Grishams because Sidney Pollack directed The Firm. Right. Mm-hmm. And made them really well. But man, Joel Schumacher, I think between Joel Schumacher and Akiva Goldsman, the uh, screenwriter that he worked with. Mm-hmm. On both of them, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. also on the Bat- the Batman movies, which, by the way, oh. Joel Schumacher, who in every obituary, it's like St. almost Fire or Lost Boys I and know. Batman. He directed just as many John Grisham adaptations. Yeah, he did, too. And they're 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 both they're both great. And they're, I really yeah, they really move. Uh, they are exciting. And that was what made those books fun, fun to read. Yeah. And we'll talk we'll get into the literary value a bit more but they were fun and exciting to read especially the client and a time to kill which again as a, a you know teenager i understood it it wasn't as adult it wasn't as complex
0: well what's also interesting about the client is that that is a movie that's about a child and mm-hmm. i think that it for a young reader as a way to get into reading more adult books. It's a really effective book to to read, I think, at that stage.
2: A relatable uh, protagonist, which also John mm-hmm. Grisham does have a young adult series as well. The Theodore right. Boone Kid Lawyer. Series. Didn't he
0: also write like
2: Christmas with the Cranks? Yes, he, the the book Skipping Christmas. Which uh, oh, Christmas with, name? Yeah. 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 Different name, but Christmas with the Cranks is based on Skipping Christmas. And there have been a few other adaptations of it. There was The Chamber uh, with Chris O'Donnell and mm. Gene Hackman, but Joel Schumacher didn't direct that. And that, is, that wasn't that good. And then Did Grisham write Rainmaker? Yes. So uh, Rainmaker, which Francis Ford Coppola directed. Which I, I liked that one. That's my number. That's probably my number three. Yeah. Matt Damon's great. Matt that Danny DeVito. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Claire I like that one a lot. Yeah. Rainmaker was great. And then, oh, there was also, he wrote a, oh, there was The Street Lawyer, which they adapted into a. They tried to adapt into a TV series. Mm-hmm. They also did with The Client. He's got some upcoming projects, which I think we will actually get to. Who's got some upcoming projects? John Grisham. Oh, I was like, Joel Schumacher's no. dead, bro. No. Well, yeah. Uh no, John Grisham. So we'll we'll get more into that. But yeah, so there were some other movies based. I feel like there's one I'm forgetting. There's the The Rainmaker. Oh, um, Gingerbread Man, which wasn't based on a oh. book, but John Grisham wrote it directly for the screen and Robert Altman directed Interesting. that with Kenneth Branagh as a oh like Louisiana-based lawyer and it's hmm. very uh it's not currently it's not streaming you know on any of the subscription services mm-hmm. but I remember watching it I remember you know I'm a fan of Altman's style so right. it was a, I, I remember enjoying it and I remember it had a pretty impressive cast as well Robert Duvall. okay almost positive <laughs>
0: yeah sounds yeah. about
2: right. Why not? So, so
0: uh, why don't we get into the client? Uh, I just have a short synopsis. We're going to definitely do a deeper dive, but here's the here's the framework ahem ahem. Latchkey kids Mark and Ricky Sway are often a harmless adventure to smoke cigarettes in the woods when a black car pulls up behind them, but in a way where they can't be seen. The Sway brothers notice that the man is attaching a hose to his tailpipe in an effort to asphyxiate himself. After a few attempts by Mark to thwart his suicide attempts, the man catches him and pulls him into the car, threatening to take Mark with him into the afterlife, all while explaining that he is Romy Clifford, an attorney whose client was a mob hitman who offed a senator, and only Romy knows where the body is buried. Rather than be murdered by the mob, Romy decides to kill himself. Because I guess it would be better? After Mark uses his wiles to get away, Romy decides to do it the quick way. He sticks the barrel of a gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. Once they are home, Ricky Sway falls into a post-traumatic shock. Mark finds his way back to the scene of the suicide where he is discovered by a shitty cop who also finds the cigarettes left behind by Mark and Ricky. After it's revealed that Mark's fingerprints, which were obtained in a super shady way, are all over the interior of the car, there's no denying that Mark knows more than he's letting on. He rushes to hire a lawyer and finds Reggie Love, a recovering alcoholic who lost her kids in an ugly divorce years earlier. Mark needs her to protect him from Reverend Roy Fultrig, a shark of a lawyer who could easily get Mark to spill the beans, endangering his entire family once the mob finds out. On the run from the mob and Reverend Roy's team, Mark and Reggie's bond grows stronger, leading them to find the body together before the mob does. If Reggie can trade the information about the Senator's whereabouts for witness protection for the Sways, everyone can get what they want, except the mob. That's my synopsis. Uh, I'm just going to run through a cast list briefly. As we mentioned, Susan Sarandon is a Reggie Love. Oscar nominated? Yeah, Oscar Oscar nominated. nominated. Tommy Lee Jones is Reverend Roy Fultrig, who is just awesome in this. He's so good. Uh, Brad Renfro making his debut as Mark Sway. Total unknown, plucked out of complete obscurity, and absolutely kills it pour one
2: out. Uh, Well, I want, after you get through the cast list, I want to talk a little bit about Brad Renfro.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mary Louise Parker is Diane Sway, Mark Sway's mother. And, you know, she's you know, they live in a trailer. She has a job that pays nothing. And, you know, she has dreams of having a, you know, a house with a walk-in closet. And, you know, she's just never going to get that in, in her eyes. And, um, just been dealt a shitty hand in life and uh yeah is just trying to deal with it
4: our trailer they
6: burned down our home we get, we got nothing left who did how the hell do i know somebody they saw two people they's leaving and it's all gone all of it
2: mom it's my Boy, fault i'm so sorry really Look, it's going to be all right. Do you know if you have insurance?
5: It's none of your business, really. I'm sorry, Diane. I didn't mean anything about it. I was just trying to help you, so... What is this crap? Oh, it's just a few things I put together to make you feel a little more comfortable. Mama love cook you. I don't don't... need your
6: charity. It's not charity, And I don't need you trying to come in here and take away my son.
2: Mark's already got a mother. I know that. You're doing a fine job. I don't need your
5: help i'm sorry if
0: i offended get out david speck is Rich, ricky sway uh anthony lapaglia as barry the blade moldano the, barry the blade who's oh my god he is oh, such a josh he's such a joel schumacher character he wears these like shiny suits with no shirts and mesh <laughs> he's got that tank ja- tops
2: he's wearing like that mc hammer jacket it's with so no good. shirt well, we're introduced to his character. He has oh. his blade with like a
0: maraschino cherry on it,
2: and he like eats it off of the knife. I love his accent. Anthony Lapaglia. He's so, is so good. great.
0: I love him. Um, let's see who do we have here? Anthony Heald. Is it Heald or Held?
2: I I believe it's Anthony Heald.
0: Yeah, Anthony Heald is one of the attorneys who also shows up in A Time
2: to Kill. I really wish I'm sorry, can I just interject a yeah. moment on Anthony Heald? Is yeah. just that I wish that at some point there had been a movie where Anthony Heald and William Atherton got to be <laughs> like just really, really nice guys. Yeah. Like just really like friendly, just the friendliest, nicest people you've ever met, because yeah. they are absolute dicks in every movie. Absolutely. I think yeah. like William Atherton might have one movie where he's like likable.
0: <laughs> uh Yeah, I
2: don't know. I can't think of it. (laughs) I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm just like Anthony Heald, who was he was the uh, the head of the the hospital where Hannibal Lecter is held in Silence of the Lambs. And he's like all creepy with Jodie Foster.
0: Oh, he's uh, he's awful in everything. I mean, he he is so good at being an awful character. Yes. Yeah. uh, So Bradley Whitford in one of his, I think, first roles is another one of the attorneys. Uh, we have Anthony Edwards as Clint, who is Reggie Love's assistant. Paralegal. Paralegal. Or- but the thing is, like they they have a very close relationship, and it's like, are they
2: dating? That was what Alicia thought. My, yeah, my it's, wife. We watched it's it together. Hard to
0: really say. Uh Anthony Edwards. Once there was a rumor that he was living in our
2: hometown. Well, hello, full circle. This is the so here's another connection in the sh- the world of Schumacher. Apparently, the reason why Kiefer Sutherland was at the Riverside Inn, uh, oh. A.K.A. the dive, the reason why Kiefer Sutherland was there drinking with the you know guys I went to high school with. I got this confirmed by the way okay. by Hal Hansen. So, okay. Um, Anthony Edwards and Kiefer Sutherland are friends. And okay. that Kiefer Sutherland was visiting Anthony Edwards in Cranford and wound up at the dive. Okay. Apparently so, not with Anthony Edwards.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I have also had drinks with Kiefer Sutherland in LA because he uh, we, we would do something called the Kiefer Crawl. We would just go to all the bars that, which yes. was like in my neighborhood, you know, there was just a, a few bars that he would pop up at all the time. I uh, had drinks of them at the Cha-Cha Lounge.
2: I feel like we might've gone to one of the, like the last, when oh, I came maybe. out to visit uh, seven years ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like the Ye Rustic Tavern, the drawing room, um, where you'll often find people you've seen on screen uh doing karaoke kiefer kiefer <laughs> uh so anyway back to the yeah. list uh so ozzy davis is judge harry roosevelt i don't think i'm really oh william h macy plays uh, oh, the yeah, doctor the... who cares mm-hmm. for ricky sway uh at the hospital very small part yeah yeah uh but though he's, he's in it
2: throughout um he's
0: in it throughout but like it's not a major role it's just you know well, there's you have a few think... lines here and there
2: William H Macy at the so Fargo doesn't come out until ninety six, mm. Um, but also John, you, you mentioned Bradley Whitford in one of his first roles. This is a good seven years after Adventures in Babysitting.
0: Oh, I forgot he's in Adventures in Babysitting. So cool! That's his license plate says. I, yes, that would so cool. be a Shul, Shul, um, Joel Schumacher move if I ever heard one. His car and the license plate. Forget it.
2: So cool. Yeah.
0: But this is where Bradley Whitford is becoming more of like the, the like West Wing Bradley Whitford. Right. Uh, not quite the Billy Madison Bradley Whitford. No. Although that for me was like the movie that was like, this guy is Bradley Whitford.
2: Yeah, I know him now. Yeah, yeah. It, it took it, it took a few seasons of West Wing for me to get over. Like you know, Eric's pregnant. Oh, he's, he's going, going to be going to a soccer, soccer player. <laughs> oh my
0: god, he's so oh, he's so. Bradley Whitford is
2: perfect, in Billy Madison. Okay, all right, we yeah. got to stay on the client.
0: Yeah, so that's essentially the cast. So the the hospital where Ricky Sway is being treated is also like an extremely Joel Schumacher hospital where it's A just like... Steam lot of steam like you go into the stairways and there's like these weird uh steamy passageways with that are like red with red lights coming through the steam well it's like it's, really it's all bizarre.
2: the it's all the HVAC equipment because there's that bridge that goes across so it's kind of like the one wing of the hospital and the other wing of the hospital honestly right. in terms of the Joel Schumacher movies we've looked at this is the most natural setting For it (laughs) that I've seen,
0: but it seems it seems flatliners. It just
2: came out of nowhere.
0: It seems odd, though, that it would be so accessible. You know that such an area would be so accessible
2: to easily to Ricky Sway or to Mark Sway, Mark Sway, Mark Sway. Yeah.
0: So let's see. I'm trying to like go back a little bit. So there's like the sleazy cop. I forget who plays him. Will Patton. It's Will Patton, Patton. who you might remember also from Armageddon and. Right,
2: a he's a things. total
0: he's a total jackass in this, and oh yeah, you know he he gives Mark a can of soda that he's really just giving him so he could get some fingerprints off of it, and that's how they match his fingerprints to the inside of the car, and all that kind of stuff. And he like talks to Mark in a really rotten way. He's like, you know, they have kid size electric chairs and ugh. FBI, huh? Whew. You know, I hear that they're sending the Reverend Roy Foltrig
4: himself. That's bad. That's, You know that the FBI puts kids in jail if they break the law. And if a kid has been involved in a murder, they got a special little um, kid-sized electric chair. I saw it once. It was about so high. Did you know that when somebody gets electrocuted, the current is so strong? It makes the blood and the veins boil. Oh, God. Fry up just like a piece of bacon. You're the only
6: pig around here. Ooh.
2: We'll see you later, Marcus. It is one step. It is one step. It is one step. Away from him telling Mark like that he's going to have a boyfriend in prison like he they and it's not just him because it's it's Fultric and the whole team. Yeah. The way that they talk to him. And this is something this is something that we will, I'm sure, get into more with with Laura. But like how illegal was it to threaten him the way that it the way that they did? And right. Like they, uh, to me, they really, whereas like they treated it as, oh, no, we didn't do that. And she's like, oh, yes, you did. And they're like, okay, you got us. Well, yeah, because he tape recorded it. And yeah, yeah, so
0: they were trying to get him to make a statement without his mother present or any sort of legal guardian or anything. Well,
2: and they advised him against having an attorney. Mm hmm absolutely not, just di- they didn't just like not advise him they advised him against having an attorney yeah so
0: so well, there's also a oh. great dynamic between reverend roy's team and the and his like group of lawyers plus the local is he like
2: the local DA or JT something? Watch. J- J- JT Walsh. JT Walsh. JT Walsh. Yeah. Uh, the local FBI. He's he's from like the local FBI right. office. Right. He's McThune. FBI. Jason McThune. Yeah. Oh. And he he
0: just wants so badly to be in like the cool kids club. We got a pour one out for JT Walsh. That, that guy yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's he's so good in this. That group of lawyers is they're they're wonderful. And the thing is, like, I totally understand. Yes, what they did to Mark at the beginning was super super slimy. But I understand that to them it's just like, oh, we just have to solve this, but they aren't considering the ramifications on the Sway family and what what it would do to them.
2: Right. It, it's they are like they are so 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 close to solving the, like uh, the murder of a United yeah. States senator. So oh, this is a big deal yeah so, so it's, in yeah, a way it's i can i can
0: understand th- you know their need to like get this done fast but as the movie goes on and you see the way that uh you know tommy lee jones and susan sarandon interact and by the end of it and susan sarandon is calling all the shots and she's like these are the demands. You have to do this. We need to get them a house of the walk-in closet and this, this, and that, and transfer uh, Ricky to this, like, a better hospital, and then they can pick whatever city they want to live in. Like, once she has all the cards, it's awesome. And he just kind of, like, crumbled. Tommy Lee Jones is just like, all right, whatever you need. And they're, you know, they're friends at the end. Even Mark and Tommy Lee Jones, they're just like, you oh, know. Yeah there's they had they finally understand each other and they respect each other
4: congratulations miss Wade. jason mcthune over here to escort you to phoenix take care of matters once y'all arrive right. right this way miss Wade. all right guys let's go yes sir come on let's go, go. bud come on
6: thanks for ever roy.
4: you've been a real pain in the ass thank you son and good luck to you i assure you you have been an even larger pain in the ass <laughs> give me five <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, because they both they, they both sides know how to play a little dirty. Yeah. And both And, sides, and there's and they respect there's like there's that mutual respect.
0: Yeah. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones, one of the, I guess, uh, pseudo Joel Schumacher players just in the two movies, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Batman yeah, he, he
2: didn't have such a good time on Batman forever. But well, wasn't yep.
0: that mostly because he and Jim Carrey were at each other's throats the whole time?
2: The From what I read, it was more just that he was at Jim Carrey's throat. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a side to the story that I'm not hearing, but uh, it, it just sounded—to it, it, me, it seems like you, you've got—so Tommy Lee Jones has, uh, you know, he's been— in movies, you know, was was acting all throughout the, the 80s, probably yeah. the, like the 70s as well. I'm trying to think of some of his earlier yeah. credits, but I can think of Tommy Lee Jones credits going back to 84. But then you've got Under Siege. Mm hmm. Oh, he's got, great in Under Siege. Oh, wait, sorry. No, no, JFK comes first. So he does JFK, gets nominated for an Oscar for his performance in JFK. Mm hmm. Then he does under siege, like which comes out like a few months after JFK. But under siege is, and he, you're right. He, play, I mean, Tommy, Academy Award winner Tommy Lee Jones, as the bad guy in a Steven Seagal movie, and it makes it. It's why under siege is. He's got like long hair, and he's just like playing very
0: a very very different character than you've ever seen him play.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's more Nick Cagey, if you will. I know things are a little. are a little chaotic for you right now. Chaotic! Wake up, Tom!
4: You know, and I know, that chaos and bedlam are consuming the entire world. UV light waves are only the beginning, Tom. We have an inch of topsoil left. Soil. Sexually transmitted diseases, deforestation, irreversibly progressive depletion of the global gene pool. It all adds up to oblivion, pal. Governments will fall. Anarchies will reign. It's a brave new world.
0: Bill, what are you planning to do?
4: Do you realize, Tom, that whatever I do is inevitable? Can we agree on that? Well, not necessarily. Well, see, there you go, Tom. See, you can't argue with me here, or negotiate, or attempt any chicken shit psychological ploy. You have to reconsider your entire philosophy.
2: All right, all right, I'm I'm sorry. Um, Whatever you decide to do is inevitable.
4: Now look at my wife, Tom. The life you people tried to take. There was Annapolis, it was Vietnam, it was war college, so on. You know, I missed the 60s, and I truly believe that if I could have been there to make my contribution, everything would have worked out fine.
2: Look, Bill, if this is about reliving the 60s, you can forget about it, buddy. The movement is
4: dead. Yes, of course, hence the name. Movement, it moves a certain distance, then it stops, you see? A revolution gets its name by always coming back around in your face. You tried to kill me, you son of a bitch. So welcome to
2: the revolution. There's more to follow, I'll stay in touch. But then, then, The Fugitive, and he wins the Oscar for The Fugitive.
0: Yeah, so just going going back a little bit, he was, he got his start, he was in uh, Love Story... 71? Uh, in, 19, in 1970. 70. Then he, you know, he did a few little things. He's in some TV stuff throughout the 70s. Uh, He's in Rolling Thunder in 77. Mm-hmm. Um, Coal Miner's Daughter in 80. Right. Was he nominated for Coal Miner's Daughter? No, he was not.
2: Because he had a pretty big role in
0: that. Sissy Spacek <laughs> won Best Actress. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Writing. And... Nominated for Best Cinematography. Nominated for Editing. Nominated for Sound. Nominated for Art Direction, Set Direction.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, he's in... Yeah. I mean, lo- yeah. Lonesome Dove.
0: So, anyway. 89.
2: Tommy Lee Jones. Amazing career. By
0: the time we get to uh, Batman
2: Forever, which was 95. 95. 95. Which brings it back to what makes... Another thing about Joel Schumacher is, man, this guy had a summer blockbuster 94, 95, Mm -hmm. 96, 97, if we're we're counting Batman and Robin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a summer blockbuster. It might have sucked, but it was a summer blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So for four years in a row, he had huge, because the Client and a Time to Kill were huge hits. Yeah. And even, like, I I don't recall uh, Flatliners box office, but I'm pretty sure Flatliners, like, did pretty well. I know The Lost Boys, because it was 1987, I feel like The Lost Boys was... What a year. Yeah, I mean, that's how good that year was. I think Lost Boys was, like, in the top, like, 30, maybe. 30s, yeah. Yeah, so The Client is a big hit for Joel Schumacher. He's got this amazing cast, and, yeah, they all... They really brought the book to life.
0: Yeah. I think and as well and as. So let's talk could. a little bit about uh Susan Saranda and Reggie Love. So uh, like I mentioned, she her character lost her kids in a divorce, and she lives with her mother and who's
2: a hoot. She is great. Oh yeah, she's great. The actress uh who played her mama love is eight years older than Susan Sarandon. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. I read yeah. that. Uh, but it, you know what? Oh, it, it, it works. worked. It works. It was totally it fine. Works. And uh, yeah, so she and Mark develop this kind of like mother son relationship. And it, I don't know, it's really well done. It never gets into like a weird territory. Uh, they're kind of playing a game of back and forth of trust. And, I, I don't know. I think that Brad Renfro really sold it. Like he, I mean, this is his first thing. I can't believe that he was able to pull, pull something this from
2: off. literally. I mean, we know that most overnight sensations are not overnight sensations, but Brett, cause John Grisham insisted he had yeah. John Grisham. This is, so this is what a player Grisham was at this point. He ins, like, he had full casting approval. And oh, he cool. demanded, like, they wanted Macaulay Culkin. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. And John Grisham... How
0: weird would that have been?
2: Yeah, it's, it's like, Romy killed himself. Palms to <laughs> cheeks. Yeah, everyone uh, could
0: hear what that sound was. <laughs>
2: you all know what I did. Uh, so, but Grisham insists on not just an unknown, but a kid from the Memphis area. Yeah, And they find him in uh, Knoxville, Knoxville, yeah, Tennessee. So. But Brad Renfro was being raised by his grandmother. His mother kind of just took off, got married and went away. And he was like already into like, you know, smoking cigarettes was nothing new for Brad Renfro. Right. Uh, smoking weed was not that he does that in the movie. But, you know, M- Brad Renfro himself was a kid who was kind of forced to grow up in a lot of ways early based on his circumstances, just like Mark Sway. Yeah. So, and he was, uh, recommended by, I want to say like, a, it was a police athletic league coach mm-hmm. that okay. I want to say was friendly with the casting director and oh, that helps. Uh, or, well, I mean it was, or, or, or maybe they, no, 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 they had gone. The casting director had Mally Finn had gone to them and said like, look, do you have any kids? Like we're looking for someone who's, you know, he's rough around the edges, and and based on the novel and yeah it's been a long time since i've read it but that's the kid that's the character yeah and so lucky to find him but it's so it, just the story of Brad Renfro is so sad and so tragic because
0: yeah we lost him in
2: 2008 2008 and yeah. i it, it's worth 25 It's worth pointing out, though, what happened to him, because I think it goes along the lines of what we've discussed with Corey Haim uh, um, as well. But Brad Renfro kind of fell into he fell into a crowd because he followed up the well he did Tom and he did Tom and Huck after after the client right yeah but then he did uh sleepers. 1998 yeah sleep so sleepers which was sleepers was some rough rough material Yeah. but then he goes and and he does apt pupil
0: right which we've talked about on the show before
2: yeah yeah and i'm just the more that that comes out like i did some I did some research on, you know, Brad Renfro's connection to Brian Singer. Oh, yeah, and mm. Br- Brian Singer, like, what I I read an article on BuzzFeed, and uh, let me just want to credit the author here, but it was uh, it was an article uh, called "How Hollywood Failed Brad Renfro," uh, mm. Adam Adam B. Vary. And, uh, this is from, from 2018, but he kind of talks about how Brad Renfro got into heroin over, over the years. And, uh, like he was trying to buy heroin on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I remember hearing about that. Yeah. It's so sad because I almost, I feel like I, I like Joel Schumacher took care of the kids that he worked with. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get that impression. And uh, there's some other research that you can do if, if you care to, we're not going to get into it, but on uh, Brian Singer and the allegations against Brian Singer made by young men who were teenagers, uh, including, Like a a kid who was at, who went to the middle school where they filmed Apt Pupil, Mm -hmm. who claims that Brian Singer basically like had him on set just to kind of like mess around with. And (laughs) like, yeah, some, and, and yeah, it's, it, it, it's all brings up a whole other question of, you know, you have someone who is, I think, undeniably a talented director, but, can i watch the usual suspects can i watch x-men without that in my right. head and and i mean it's sad in so many ways but it's so regrettable because like you know these things could have been prevented but they you know someone like brad renfro's you know he just goes into this you know shame spiral mm-hmm. i'm cribbing from Stuart smalley but yeah. It's a really sad uh, story. I'm sorry yes. to get onto a dark well, into a, well, You know,
0: and I uh, but the the final film that Brad Renfro was in, The Informers, I was an extra in. Oh. I did a day or so on that. I, I was in a funeral scene. So
2: was that Billy Bob Thornton?
0: Billy that? Bob Thornton, Winona Ryder was in it. It's like a it's really Easton like Ellis uh yeah. adaptation. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, great I didn't cast. See it, but... it, I don't think I don't remember it being very good, but really great cast. And uh yeah, Brad Renfro's final appearance. Did you have
2: any interaction with him or
0: no? I don't think that he was in the scene that I was there for. Billy Bob Thornton was I think Kim Basinger?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. She was there.
0: Yeah. So uh, anyway, it was a big like cattle call scene. I was just, you know, a person wearing a suit and a crowd of people wearing nice clothes. Anyway.
2: On film.
0: But speaking of, uh, going back a little bit, speaking of sexual deviance uh, and the usual suspects, should we get into A Time to Kill?
2: Oh, I might have to object to that segue. Uh, uh, Ah, Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. But but we could say, speaking of awful things that should have been prevented, let's talk about a time to kill
0: yeah and by that i also was referring to kevin spacey i wasn't referring to uh oh yeah. <laughs> it yes could, uh, it could be looked at in many different oh, ways tr-
2: trust me i sat there and i was like i am so glad that i do not need to like kevin spacey's character in this is is mm. shall i get into
0: my oh so go ahead go ahead again go ahead. really just a framework of a m- multi-layered film after the violent rape and attempted murder of his 10-year-old daughter, Carly Haley kills two racist hillbillies responsible, knowing that if they went to trial, they would likely be locked up for only 10 years at most. He turns to rookie lawyer Jake Brigance, who helped his brother out of a bind the year prior. In an effort to plead insanity, Brigance does everything he can to defend Lee's actions. Meanwhile, The brother of one of the rapists is radicalized by the KKK, leading to a Madison County faction of the Klan to retaliate against Brigantz and everyone connected with him. They start with burning a cross, then someone attempts to put a bomb under his house, they beat the life out of his secretary's husband, and then they ultimately burn his entire house down. Luckily, Jake's wife and daughter had already left to stay with her parents, his wife fearing that Jake only took the case to prove that he's a hotshot lawyer, and not that he actually cares about justice. At the beginning of the case, a young law student slash bleeding-heart liberal named Ellen Roark rolls into town to help Brigance, and she proves to be a very valuable asset, especially since Brigance needs all the help he can get. After all, he is going up against D.A. Rufus Buckley, a slimy lawyer played by a slimier actor, Kevin Spacey, who scoffs at Brigance's ideals. Jake and his team, which also includes Harry Rex Vonner, a divorce attorney friend, managed to ultimately win the case, but not before a few major life lessons from Carl Lee Haley. So Jake Brigance is played by Matthew McConaughey. Sandra Bullock is Ellen Roark. Samuel L. Jackson is Carl Lee Haley. As I said, Kevin Spacey is Rufus Buckley. Uh, Harry Rex Vonner is played by Oliver Platt, one of the Joel Schumacher players. Charles S. Dutton is Sheriff Ozzy Walls. Uh, Brenda Fricker is Ethel Twitty, who I know best as the... uh, the Pigeon Lady from Home Alone Two. <laughs> Donald Sutherland is Lucian Willbanks, who is Brigance's, uh, d- uh drunk mentor, who has been disbarred and claims he'll never go into a courtroom again until the end of this movie. Apparently, Kiefer Sutherland plays Freddie Lee Cobb, the uh, the new kind of de facto leader of the KKK, the Madison County,
2: uh, the Madison County chapter. Yeah. Yes, um, or Clavern. Clavern. I, the, I want to use the appropriate nomenclature here. I, are okay. they a Clavern? I don't know. How do they subdivide it? You see, the KKK is actually an organized organization, right? Yeah, unlike the mythical Antifa. Antifa. <laughs> they yeah. have uh, they have application forms. I love it.
0: They they do. It's like please print. Uh, so and also the the like more local like Grand Wizard is. Um, uh Kurtwood
2: Smith. Kurtwood Smith, yes. Yeah. Stump yeah, Sisson.
0: <laughs> oh my god. He's yeah, Stump Sisson, who is perfect for this role. He Perfectly just plays cast. evil so well. Uh we have Patrick mcgoogan as Judge Omar Noose. Awful name. Uh Ashley Judd is Carla brigance Jake's wife. We have, oh my God, it's such a huge cast, Chris Cooper as uh, Deputy mm-hmm. Sheriff Dwayne Looney in possibly the only movie where he's like a real good dude. Chris Cooper? Yeah. No. He's notorious for being like the bad guy.
2: Well, I want to say that in the other movie that he appeared in with Matthew McConaughey that year, Lone Star, he is oh. awesome. He he, I think he's, he's the protagonist in that. And-
0: You know, I forgot about Lone Star, but I just think about like what Chris Cooper went on to do, uh, like kind of after this. Well, you think about what American Beauty, American Beauty adaptation,
2: uh, adaptation. Uh, He's He's,
0: not the he's not a bad guy. He's he's just kind of. But he's not a he's not the greatest guy.
2: Well, no, no. But I look, Chris, um, what about October Sky? He was a villain in a Muppet movie. Yes, he was. Anyway, he plays a villain really well.
0: Uh, Nikki Cat plays Billy Ray Cobb. Doug Hutchinson is uh, Pete Willard, who is the other rapist. You would remember Doug Hutchinson probably best from his r- appearance on the X Files, where he plays the squee the guy from Squeeze, who gets in through all the like.
2: Wait, the guy from the band
0: Squeeze? No, from the episode Squeeze, I, he played I Eugene Toombs. I never who, watched the oh, X Files.
2: Uh, Talk to Scott. Yeah. Oh, believe Scott me. Scott Weiner, X-Files fanatic.
0: Believe me, he knows who Doug Hutchinson is. Doug Hutchinson, who is or was married to Courtney Stodden, who is kind of an internet sensation person uh, in all of the weirdest ways. And then the aforementioned Anthony Heald as uh, Dr. Wilbur Road Roadheaver, <laughs> who... Uh, yeah. Yeah, who... Um, is kind of the like slimy psychiatrist who is supposed to,
2: you know, he basically, discredit. He, yeah. Yeah. He gets paid to testify.
0: Right. In these, uh, in these and cases. the, the counterpart for the defense is M. Emmett Walsh as Dr. Willard Tyrell Bass,
2: <laughs> who is drunk. Um, Chris Cooper, very likable in little women.
0: That's true. Very likable in little women. Uh, kind of unrecognizable in Little Women. This is the 2019 Little Women. Uh, I didn't realize it was him until at one point I was like, is that Chris Cooper? Oh, yeah.
2: No, yeah. He was very recognizable.
0: So, A Time to Kill is complicated. You know, it, it definitely has a lot of that white savior thing going on. Where it's and it addresses it in like the final like speech that Samuel L. Jackson gives to Matthew McConaughey about how like they're not friends, that you know, their kids aren't gonna play together, this changes nothing.
5: Chick, I, I can't do no laugh in prison. You gotta get me off. Now if it's you won't trial- It's not me.
4: We're not the same, Carly. The jury has to identify with the defendant. They see you, they see a yard worker, they see me, they see an attorney. I live in town, you live on the hill. Well, you white and
5: I'm black. (sighs) CJ, you think just like them. That's why I picked you. You one of them, don't you see? Oh, you think you ain't because you're eating claws and, and, and you out there trying to get me off on TV talking about black and white. But fact is, you just like all the rest of them. When you look at me, you don't see a man. You see a black man. Carly, I am your friend. We ain't no friends, Jake. we on different sides of the line. I ain't never seen you in my part of town. I bet you don't even know where I live. Our daughters, Jake, they ain't never going to play together. What are you talking about? America is a war, and you on the other side. How a black man ever going to get a fair trial with the enemy on the bench in the jury box? My life in white hands. You, Jake. That's how. You my secret weapon. Because you one of the bad guys. You don't mean to be, but you are. It's how you was raised. Nigger, Negro, Black, African American. No matter how you see me, you see me as different. You see me like that jury sees me. You are them.
0: And... Uh... Then he gives this like impassioned, you know, closing statement that's like, I wrote this whole thing, but I'm not going to read it. Instead, I'm mm. going to just tell you what I'm thinking. And it's like, this is, we're not going to win this case because the, everybody's racist. And it doesn't matter what we say or do. You're going to, you know, say that he's guilty and so on and so forth. And then he like goes into this whole thing and makes them close their eyes and he describes like in detail what happened to Tanya. And he's like, now picture. And he's like crying the whole time and all choked up. And he's like, now picture that she's white. And then everybody's just like, oh, twist.
2: Well, yes. Yes. So we, we lead back to why this book was more impactful impactful with me as why it resonated more with me as an early teenager because Mm -hmm. it's so i mean it's also grisham's first novel it's uh i mean i can give some background i got a little background and i i will say it's i
0: liked it i liked it a lot and for 1996 i'd say i mean if i believe it won like the naacp image award like best motion picture like it it's just like if this movie, the way it was made, was put out
2: now, it oh, would be a green different book, conversation. Green book. It would have been green booked. It would have been yeah. green booked. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. And it's also like you've got John Grisham, who is, he's a, he, who starts off as a lawyer. He's a lawyer himself. I think he sees, I think Jake Pergance is very much... John who John Grisham perhaps would like to be in the courtroom Uh or maybe perhaps like he wanted to be a lawyer like Jake Brigance, who he is bringing back in a new novel called a time for mercy. Huh? Interesting. So yeah. It's just saw that on his, uh, his website. So yeah. And I, I feel like this movie, yeah. In 1996, should have. I, I, it was highly regarded. It got good reviews. But yeah, it's got the whole white savior complex. It's very To Kill a Mockingbird,
0: right? Which I believe is the well. There's references oh, to To Kill a yeah. Mockingbird. And oh the, yeah,
2: he it, it is totally acknowledged. And in the 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 actual case that he that he based this on the it was a, a rape of a it was a 12 year old uh mm. white girl mm. so the the actual case that this is based on was not in fact in fact the accused was black mm-hmm. so it wasn't like the case he the case he based this on it was just the circumstances and then like his whole idea behind it according to his website was like what would have happened if this girl killed the killer killed the rapists Uh uh-huh and and to me it seems like he probably worked backwards from that and got to all Mm -hmm. right well what would those circumstances be well under what circumstances would two rapists be set free and would the would the father like almost know that for a fact
0: right yeah so there's this scene before he kills them it's like the night before where he goes to see Jake Brigance who has at this point already found out about what happened. And he says to him like, you know, they're probably going to get off, right? Like they're probably not going to serve because it time. happened because it happened
2: like in the n- next yeah, county he's like, over. Yeah.
0: He's like, uh, you remember a couple years ago, this such and such happened. Yeah. So, uh, he alludes to the idea that he's going to take matters into his own hands without actually saying, I'm going to kill them and uh yeah so it's I, I think that samuel l jackson in this movie is perfect
2: he's so good once again we have an actor on a hot streak because mm-hmm. it's it's a year after die hard with a vengeance Man. okay
4: zeus i'm sorry you got involved.
5: why you keep
2: calling right.
4: me hey zeus i look puerto rican to you the guy back there called you Jesus. He hey zeus he didn't say hey zeus.
0: he said
5: hey zeus my name is zeus Zeus? Yeah, Zeus. As in Father of Apollo, Mount Olympus. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus, you got a problem with that?
2: Two years after Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, I want you. For which he's Oscar nominated. I mean, and Samuel L. Jackson was in everything (laughs) pretty much before that. But now this was Samuel L. Jackson. Like, it's almost surprising to me that this film, I don't think it got any Academy Award nominations. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, Most Sweat? Oh, The Oscar for Most Sweat?
2: Well, yeah, which the client could have been up for as well. Grisham I movies are- I think A Time to Kill
0: out sweats the client.
2: Well, everyone is sweating in A Time it to Kill. It is the sweatiest
0: movie I've ever seen in my life. It, yes. Tim Capello would be like, damn, that's a lot of sweat.
2: That is a lot of sweat. <laughs> yes, that is too much for Tim Capello. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, it is the middle of summer in- Totally uh, Mississippi,
0: yeah, totally, but even still, oh, wait, are so they much in, sweat.
2: They're in Mississippi, right? They're in
0: Mississippi, yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll we might bring this up when uh, when Laura comes on in a little bit, but uh, Laura has a tendency to ask questions about movies that are answered seconds later and such as a thing that happened last night when we were watching this and she was like, so where does this take place? And then the next second is a shot. That's at Like an, a bird's eye shot of like the floor of the, uh, the courthouse. And it just says Mississippi really big and stone on the floor, like in marble. And, uh, um. she just started laughing so hard. Cause she's like, of course it's literally the most prominent thing in the next shot the next second after i say this though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh, just a couple of a couple of things to point out because this like you said a movie like this would resonate much differently now and, and we, a lot of it would be considered outdated. The yes, the white savior complex yeah. the Jake Jake Brigance um which i do like that it's acknowledged. I
0: yes. And yes. also i I want to call out the scene where the um, like the reverend from the church has uh, done like taken a collection from the church to help pay for things, and has also partnered with the NAACP and to to hire a black lawyer.
2: Well, except they didn't hire a black lawyer.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing is they that was the plan is was yeah. to do this because they don't want. This they even calls him a cracker. This white lawyer, representing him, but it was really like Carly Haley's idea to have the money go to Jake Brigance because he's like, if it's a black lawyer, I'm losing this. Like, I need a white person to do this.
2: Well, but they they end up bringing in Norman Reingold, and oh, right, 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 yeah, right, right. who. Uh, a bit a bit of a stereotype there yeah no, not but like it, it, yeah i would say the most like stereotypey character in this movie is norman reingold mm-hmm. the the lawyer that the naacp brings in and i wonder that's something i wonder of like i wonder how much that actually happened and how much you know the the naacp wasn't being 100 percent altruistic and yeah what?
0: Well, I mean, for for this movie to still win the NAACP Image Award, even after the NAACP is kind of like not villainized, but they're definitely made to appear a little disingenuous. What or... else was
2: going to get it in 1996? The English Patient, <laughs> touche. Fargo. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember other movies from 1996. It seems like like such a between year, uh, yeah. I, but, I mean, I think
0: that uh, it was it was smart for them to have a scene like that to kind of justify Jake Brigance doing what he does.
2: They do, yeah. I, I think they do a good job of 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 addressing those little like those those both plot holes and loopholes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and I don't, but I also. I think that, like, I think about watching this movie now versus watching it then. And I felt, I think when I saw it back in 1996 at the Lowe's Mountainside. (laughs) Okay. I'm pretty sure I have the ticket stub. Uh, And I remember I saw it with a group of friends that I was doing uh, theater with that summer. And, uh, you know, you went to see it and it was an entertaining movie. And,. That was it, and to me, it was so foreign, and it was so Mm. like nothing like that happened, or like I didn't. Either I didn't think that those things really happened. It was so like such a suburban bubble, right? Yeah, and and then you look at now, it's like falling down. Where you watch it, then you're just like, ah, okay, well, that's a little, that's a little much, but and now I'm like. Like, that not only happened a lot then, it happens now, and we're still having these arguments about uh, Confederate flags, uh, which is one of the first images we see in the movie. First images we
0: see, it's throughout the movie, plus also when they are leaving the courthouse and Carly Haley is free, leaving the courthouse at the end— Above him is the Mississippi flag, which has the Confederate flag on it. So it's like it's still there; it's just right on top yeah, of him the whole time. Yeah,
2: yeah. This is not over. And I think about the scene where, uh, where with 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 Kurtwood Smith is Stump Sisson, and he <laughs> says to 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 Kiefer Sutherland, "The the Klan has always been there under the surface, waiting for the opportunity to deliver God's justice." And yeah. I think about what we're seeing what we've seen over the last few years mm-hmm. and which is not like new, but it's the surfacing of what's been there. Just right. like he says, and he says like the clan
0: goes silent for a couple of years and people think that we're gone,
2: but mm-hmm. we're not. Yeah, yeah uh, no, I thought it was really, I, I'd be interested to know more about, uh, Grisham's, whether, you know, his experiences, cause I think he grew up in, in Mississippi and Oxford perhaps. Okay. And, I'd be interested to to know more about his like actual has he had actual experience with mm. the clan? Like what does yeah. he know what the applications look like? Are they more like <laughs> the ones in this or in Black Klansmen? Um, oh my god. I think it's I no, I think it's it's I think it's interesting. And I think that it also I like that the structure of the story, but also the filmmaking shows how different life can be in two different parts of one town. Yeah. And how you don't have to go far and people are living in in much worse conditions. And it's kind of like, well, I don't see it out my front window, so I don't have to think about it.
0: Right. Well, think about the judge's house. I have a lot of thoughts about the judge's house. Where- oh, what, the plantation? The plantation where he has like two black... Servants. I was waiting for
2: Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained. Steve. I was thinking I've been thinking about out.
0: Django a lot lately. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, what do you in the basement of that building, there's probably a fight going on right now. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't notice it the when I watched it uh oh like maybe two weeks ago. But when I watched it last night, I don't know if I was just like not looking at the screen during that like two seconds. But it shows, yeah, there's, like, the the woman who lets him in, and then there's the guy who's, like, you know, Judge, uh, whatever his name is. Noose. Judge Noose is. Judge Noose, of all names. Judge Noose is upstairs, <laughs> you know.
2: It's it. okay, John Grisham. It was your first novel.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that was, even just in those, like, few seconds where it shows that, it's, like... That is a, that's big. That's pretty big.
2: Yeah. But, and it brings me back to my personal experience reading the book. And what I thought about now was I was like, I read that book at sea. I read that book sitting on like plantation ground, which I didn't think of as a kid when we went to Georgia for vacation. But I'm like, I I read this book where, you know, this happens. And I was so blind to it and, and, and unaware of it. And to me, it just happened in, in books. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, the judge is, he's corrupt. He's, he's got, he's decided his verdict already. Yeah. And, and he's clearly sympathetic to, to, to white people.
0: Right. I mean, you see the judge palling around with Kevin Spacey's character and it's just, you just know like this isn't a fair trial Yeah, yeah. There's nothing that they can do about it.
2: I, I do have to point out, I have a couple of notes on some things that I, I wanted to, to point out uh, some other kind of self owns in here. The uh, great inter great, like there's this great, uh, I forget who, I think it's Roark and uh, yeah, who we haven't even really talked about and, J- and Jake, but they have this great, discussion about northern liberalism versus southern liberalism yeah. so she is
0: anti-death penalty and he is pro very adamantly so he's like oh, we yes. don't think i don't think we do it enough
4: now the other night you said you were opposed to death penalty yes sir why you're not Mm-mm. actually i'm very much in favor of it i'd like to go back to hangings on the court-ass lawn if we could
5: are you kidding right
4: no The only problem with the death penalty, Roark, is that we do not use it enough.
6: Well, have you told your client Carly Haley this?
4: Carly Haley does not deserve the death penalty. Now, the two men who raped his daughter did. Okay,
6: See, well, how do you decide who dies and who doesn't?
4: Simple, okay, you take the crime and you take the criminal. Mm -hmm. Now, say a, a crack dealer guns down an undercover cop. Well, you strap his ass to the chair, flick the switch.
6: You know, for some reason, I, I thought you were a liberal.
4: Well, I am a liberal, Rohan. What I am not is a card-carrying ACLU radical. I do not believe in forgiveness nor in rehabilitation. I believe in safety. I believe in justice.
6: Let's see. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever seen a man executed? not that i recall. all right then what i suggest you do is you go watch a man be executed you watch him die you watch him beg you watch him kick and spit the life out of him till he Pisses and shits in his pants until he's gone. Then you know what? Then you come back here and you sing this crap to me <clears throat> about justice. Roar, spare you're me you're northern
4: liberal Crimea River. We are the only enlightened ones in the northern oh. hemisphere. Bullshit.
6: I'm so sorry. Yes, you are the enlightened. Yes, you are the enlightened. And that's why he brought me here to this this black diner and this this black neighborhood, right? All right. So you can convince me you're this JFK meets Jesus, Christ white boy. Is that, is that what it is? Or is it because you're just another repressed, hypocritical, Southern provincial who maybe didn't want to be seen around town with a woman like myself? Yes, sir. You sure are enlightened. Well, you know what? I'm terribly sorry. I've made a mistake. I thought you were one of the good guys. Thank you very much for your time, Mr. Briggs
2: You know, she does a good job of calling him out. I think the Roark car- character, I always say Roark because that's how, that's how they, say they, it, yeah. they pronounce it. But when. I think that character is a it's a little exploit, like the representation of women in the book is a little questionable, but at least she calls it out in the and uses her sexuality as Sandra Bullock playing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she kind of takes advantage of that, like, you know, well, these sweaty southern boys can clearly be swayed by this suede mark
0: sway ricky Mm. sway
2: i do have other connections by Mm. the way but uh i i think she's kind of like there's this obvious misogyny and she takes advantage of that much the same way susan sarandon does in the Mm -hmm. client yeah so i think what i like about grisham is i think he's trying especially in these early novels and as a white male author doing he's he's making an effort to show other perspectives right and i and i think that schumacher's film in in both the client and and time to kill i think schumacher's adaptations capture the spirit of the novels the sweat of the novels the uh you know the the tension because when you have like that sweat that's tension right there Mm -hmm. and There's a there's great tension. Now, there's a couple of things that there's the constant presence of the Mississippi flag in the courtroom, like a a symbol of injustice where there is supposed to be justice. You've got the you know, you've got the cop who's part of the Klan. Right. That's real you've got the um, oh my do you remember the one clansman like when when they're marching and they're all marching with their hoods on but those one guys got his he's got like the mask part of the hood oh, up mm-hmm. and he's got shades on and I was like who is that guy it's like to me these there's always that standout like the pink thong guy from the end of yeah. falling down <laughs> well yeah and by the end of the movie
0: it, you know a lot of the clansmen have their like masks up or like the hoods are like they're not obscuring themselves anymore.
2: No, no, they're right. The the more that they're out there, and the more that they're you know that they feel enabled, they yeah, they're allowed to do what they're doing. So, yeah. um, but but also also great shot to whoever threw the Molotov cocktail at Stump System.
0: Oh, and what a great way to kill that piece of shit. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, it,
2: it feels so. So good.
0: Yeah. So uh, I also just want to talk about Sandra Bullock's character, Ellen Roark, a little bit, since we haven't really gotten too much into her. So what's happening is she rolls into town as this case is kicking off, and she is the daughter of a very wealthy person. So she doesn't want to be compensated for helping out with the trial. And she's a law student. She's got all these great ambitions. And she is... Sharp, And she uses her privilege to benefit them. And she, yeah. yeah, so she weasels her way into the psychiatric center so she can, dish, dig, dig, yeah, she, yeah, she flirts so she can dig up some dirt find to, in a way to discredit uh, Anthony Heald's character. And she does it marvelously so. Although I don't understand how knowing the room number of his office helps her find it from the outside of the building. Anyway, she climbs in through a window from the outside of the building. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is also happening while uh, Jake Brigance's wife and daughter are out of town. And he's feeling really frustrated. Their marriage is a little shaky. Although at the very beginning, it seems really, really strong. And then Mm -hmm. I guess once things start to go on and she's feeling less safe at home... She takes off with the daughter to stay with her parents, which was smart because they burn the freaking yeah. house down. And he's hanging around with Ellen Roark all the time and, and they're both sweating. They're both sweating and drinking very much. Uh, Harry Ricks, Oliver Platt's character, mentions how like he's about to have an affair with her. He's like he tells Jake he's like all the things that are going on. He's like, Jake, listen to me. Your
3: marriage is on the rocks.
5: You're about to have an affair. Your career's in ruins if you're lucky, and if you're not, you're dead. Don't get me wrong, my friend. What you put into this case, you even inspired me, and I'm I'm uninspirable.
2: Do everyone a favor, though. Drop the case. Oliver Platt is He's so, so good in this. Good. He's so good. He's got a Seersucker him? suit,
0: his, you know, classic his- Mercedes convertible. His accent
2: that he has, like his that that dripping accent. He's so good. Is oh so God. Louisiana. And yeah. yeah, I mean Oliver Platt is great. Now, look, ready to rumble. Oliver Platt is great in that. So he's
0: he's awesome. I love yes. Oliver Platt. I met him at a screening of um Pieces of April. Oh. Wow. That little Katie Holmes joint.
2: That's a good movie. Patricia Clarkson. Yeah. yeah. Who else is that? Like, was that Bokeem Woodbine? Uh, oh, I
0: don't know. No. Uh, I just remember Patricia Clarkson, no, 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 no. Kitty Holmes yeah. and uh, Oliver Platt. So yeah, I, I, he was doing a Q and A to screening of that. And I met him afterwards. Cool. Uh, lovely, lovely guy. So yeah. So Roark kind of comes in at this time when Jake is going through all of this stuff and she's like his one ally and sounding board and, they They come so close to getting together, but they never do. There's actually like a a real good moment where they're at the office, and she's like, "You want me to stay?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah I want you to stay." stay and that's stay why you should up. leave, yeah, so and that when she leaves is when she gets kidnapped by the clan and um gets you know tied up and kind of left out for the bugs and animals to eat her. And there there's the one I uh, I don't know if we ever find out his name Mickey Mouse the guy who's like in the clan but
2: helps them out Wait we do because we see him at one I don't know if we ever yeah I don't know if we ever find out his name we yeah. see him at one point without his without the hood on like we see his face but
0: it, Yeah it, he like calls the Brigantes' house and tells them like to get out you know and things like that and uh he's the one that goes back and gets Rowark off the tree and takes her to the hospital and stuff. So it's like, I don't know if he's implanted into that group unwillingly,
2: you know, kind of like reluctant. And we never know. He could be an undercover yeah. Fed. We yeah we we really don't know. Although I guess the Madison County branch is new, so
0: yeah, know, not, I, th- I I'm trying to remember if he was just one of the guys who was in the like Confederate flag basement. When uh, he's handing out the um, the brochures to join the clan, <laughs>
2: <laughs> for some reason I thought brochure and I was just, just imagining bro, a couple sure. bro bro. You want to sure. join the clan? Bro, Sign this, sure, bro. Yeah. So,
0: uh, yeah, because he has to get like five people to join. So it's like, uh, it's Kiefer, the dude with the long hair,
2: who's a piece of garbage. You guys, I gotta um, bring Fiverr. I gotta bring Fiverr. They don't let me do my five minutes. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy.
2: K oh um, KKK comedy. Oh, geez. Uh. Jeez. Jeez. So, yeah. KKK sucks. So anyway, yeah, agreed. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's Ro-
0: Roark's character and, uh, you know, we. Th- I think the last we see of her is she's in the hospital recovering. She's like, they yeah. didn't break anything. That's not, you know, it's not going to f- get fixed or something. And,
2: but then she goes. She's going to old, Ole Miss. Uh, so, oh, right. Yeah. I assume she returns for the fall semester, assuming that they're not one hundred percent remote, which they wouldn't yeah. be because it was the nineties. So yeah. actually he, the book, he wrote the book in the late eighties. So I 80s. think like actually the, the sequel to the book takes place in 1990. Oh yeah. 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 Time for mercy. And it involves a, a kid again. Um, yeah. A, lo- a lawyer who's like, re- yeah. Representing a mm-hmm. kid. I th- I didn't yeah. get the full, well, Jake Brigance being that lawyer. Yeah. So,
0: so I'm trying to think if there's any character. I mean, we didn't, didn't talk too much about Donald Sutherland's character, the mentor, Uh, who also hooks him up with um, Dr. Tyrell Bass.
2: Oh, my God. M. Emmett Walsh, character actor extraordinaire. So good at being drunk in this. And then when he's Mm -hmm. on the stand, oh, my God, and they break him. Oh, they break him. Right,
0: so he is discredited, which I don't think that this really discredits him. It just is a knock on his character because he was uh, convicted of a statutory rape. Yeah. It, but the thing is, like, he's not discredited in the way that Dr. Roadheaver is discredited, which is like, so in your eleven years of doing this, you've done forty six trials like this. You haven't said that one person is insane, but how come this one guy who you said wasn't uh, insane was then ultimately judged not guilty? in terms of insanity and is now being treated for the past 10 years at your clinic. So it's like, that is a great way to discredit somebody. And it's like, he's got the smarmy look on his face the whole time until he's just like broken. Oh yeah. That's great. It's It's really satisfying. It's very satisfying. But the, the Tyrell bass thing is like, you know, it's a knock on his character, not on his ability to fairly, you know judge somebody's level of sanity which as we know he was of full you know sound mind when he did what he did
2: well that's the and that's the the you know the big the big theme of the of the movie is they're deciding at the time did he know the difference between right and wrong and yes he did did he do the right thing geez it's almost
0: like his name should have been nelson Wright, w-r-i-g-h-t on the cusp of
2: wrong and right Oh, yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. Oh.
0: Uh, for anybody who didn't listen to our Flatliners episode, that's what that's about.
2: Yes, if you really, really, really want to get that reference and you haven't listened to the Flatliners <laughs> episode, do it after you finish this. Yeah. So I made a couple of connections here. Okay. Now, because I'm thinking about John Grisham's. Novels, and in the past several years, we we've come to this thinking of certain universes and how the Marvel universe, and even before that, well, not before that, but uh, Stephen King with right, his yeah. Dark Tower series, where he brings together characters from from different novels of his. So there's kind of a Stephen King universe. So I'm thinking of the John Grisham novels, which are all. At least all of the legal thrillers. Like he's mm-hmm. written some that are not legal thrillers, and they may or may not be. I did not look into those honestly. So if we take the John Grisham legal legal thrillers, Time to Kill, Firm, Client, Pelican Brief, Chamber, Runaway Jury, even Gingerbread Man, Rainmaker. Oh, Runaway Jury. A Runaway Jury. Yes, that you was the other movie that, that I couldn't John remember Cusack. For Good movie. John Cusack, Gene Hackman, okay. Dustin Hoffman, Richard yeah. Weiss.
0: Yeah. Laura's a big fan of that one. I'm you sure we'll talk about it. So right is Alicia. Yeah.
2: Um, so I'm thinking, what I'm like, how is it possible that in the Cardam legal world of the Southeastern United States, that now, none some of these people would interact? Like, do, like how, doesn't like, does, does uh, Darby Shaw from Pelican Brief, does she go to, is she a Tulane or Old Miss? <laughs> I, uh, could, I think she's a Tulane She's a Tulane. Actually. Lane, yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm like, like, why wouldn't there be interaction between why wouldn't Jake Brigance, you know, work on a case with, uh, you know, whatever one of the lawyers from runaway jury with Dustin Hoffman, um, you know, why wouldn't, you know, Mitch McDear goes to Harvard? Is he the only Harvard educated lawyer mm-hmm. in the Grisham verse? I don't think so. Also, it goes like you can also go into the past. And I was it it kind of occurred to me because when they're talking about is it uh, Roy Lee Cobb, the Nikki Katz character.
0: Yeah. The Billy Ray Cobb, the the main. Oh, right.
2: Right, right, right. Billy Ray Cobb, who they said that he was he had been arrested previously on um, drug charges. selling dope selling dope but that it was handled by I'm looking for the for the quote I have it in here somewhere some memphis lawyer handled that so and I'm thinking well why would a memphis lawyer handle a a like small-time, you know, drug, like, mm-hmm. what's he selling? But what if he's on, like, you know, the bottom end of a chain that starts with the mob, the same mob that's represented mm. in the firm by Mitch McDear's firm? And perhaps there's a connection to the family, the crime family running out of New Orleans, of which Barry the Blade Maldonado is a member. Barry the Blade. Uncle, J- Barry the Blade Maldonado. <laughs> I swear, Uncle Johnny... So, ah, so, yeah, good. no, that's,
0: it's interesting to consider.
2: And by the way,
0: for anybody, well, nobody listening can, can see Dan right now. If he had access to yarn, there would be strings of yarn going all across the roomies in <laughs> connecting uh, John Grisham novels to one another.
2: I, I, I'll, I'll post a picture of it. Yeah. I mean, I he has a yeah. whiteboard. He has a whiteboard. Well, because you have, you have all of these characters in a pretty limited set of locations. Uh-huh. So, th- and so here's my, my proposal because *A time to kill, like we said, there's a uh, sequel book that's been written, uh, that's being published soon. And there is a stage play based on okay. it. The client was not only a movie, it was a short, short lived TV series right, starring right, Joe yeah. Beth Williams as Reggie love. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been other, continuations of these stories but i'm thinking it would be an just interesting like a series Uh a series just a straight up like nothing nothing too inventive creative a straight up like southern based legal drama Mm -hmm. that in that brings in sweaty law sweaty law (laughs) Yeah, sweaty law. I'm I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, you know, other other I don't know, characters just to, to string together, but just look at what you have. And I think if you take you know, it's a great way to employ some writers and just say, Hey, man, read all these John Grisham novels and yeah. But like backstories, like Lucian Wilbanks as as a as a young man, as a young lawyer, mm-hmm. there there's right. a lot of there's there would be a lot of approaches, a lot of ways to do it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, clearly there's a lot of backstory with Lucian. Uh, there's the idea that he and uh, Brenda Fricker's character Ethel. Uh, who was a secretary for twenty years? That they had some sort of romantic entanglement, um, or at least that's the theory that Brigance and uh, Oh, she did and Harry Rex have a lot. <laughs> so, well, she's a God-fearing Christian. She, uh, she would never do such a thing.
4: Come on, lover boy, let's get to court. Lucian thinks the two hyenas just might get off.
2: You saw Lucian? Where? Where? How is he? Has he been eating any better? just curious um
5: miss ethel refresh my recollection how long were you and lucian
4: together for exactly
3: we were never together
4: i was his secretary for 20 years come on old girl you can tell us you know he was your boyfriend
2: i am an upstanding god-fearing respectable southern woman with unimpeachable morals who has been happily married for 27 years and i have never had or ever
1: will have any boyfriend And if I did, it certainly would not be that old pickled scoundrel, Lucian Wilbanks.
3: She did him. Oh, yeah, a lot.
0: (laughs) So there's there's a huge history with his character, and I think that there's a wealth of stuff that you could deal with with that character.
2: And not to mention the characters in John Grisham novels who either go into witness protection, so imagine you've got this this new character that's invented, and up, oh, end of season, it's really Mark Sway, yeah. uh, or, you know, whatever, although they're in Arizona, so... But you could have an adult, Mark Sway, who comes back and he's an attorney. You've got, you know, the reveal that someone's really... Because Mitch McDeer, I think, goes into witness protection at the end of the firm. I would know I was asleep by that point. I think Darby Shaw of the Pelican Brief just kind of, like, goes off the grid. I don't think she goes formally into witness protection.
0: Yeah, I remember at the end of that, she... The idea is that she gets put onto a plane and then she will tell them where to take her when they're in the air. Right. Like something like that.
2: So there's a lot, uh, you know, the various character characters that could secretly be other characters in their witness protection. Things like you like you. The cliffhanger season one cliffhanger is like, I'm really Mitch McDeer. <laughs> and he whips off a mask, and it's Tom Cruise. What? So, uh, but imagine I would also, I would Get also Tom like Tom Cruise back as the character. Sure.
0: I would also like a uh, a Harry a Harry Rex
2: Vonner series. Well, you could do look like you could totally like Shonda well, rhymes it and spin off and have separate Grisham or just well, Dan. What? What are you thinking?
0: I'm thinking Harry Rex. And Reggie Love are both divorce attorneys. Is Reggie Love a divorce attorney? On the door to her office. It's about it's divorce Uh, and child custody. uh, Yes. That's what her thing is. So if you have the law offices of uh, of Vonner and Love.
2: (laughs) She's the only woman who'd be able to put up with his (laughs) crap. I think think so. I
0: think (laughs) think that that would be a really great
2: series. (laughs) Vonner and Love. Sure. That I mean what what yeah, why not? Why not? Reck, Rexy Rexy time? I don't, yeah, I don't I don't no. know. I <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so definitely so, you, not. so you so you're proposing like a series but a series that is that is maybe maybe you you'd have other characters come through but kind of the nexus would be that the law offices of, of Honor and Love.
0: Yeah, sure. And, you know, and it's just like clearly Harry Rex is going to bring up his his old buddy Jake Brigance. Get well, yeah,
2: well, yeah, there. yeah. It would be how would you uh, bring divorce, like divorce attorneys, into these other types of cases? Like, would would Jake Bergantz have you know Harry Rex come and testify? Well, here's or the or thing: is they
0: they're divorce attorneys, but clearly Harry Rex gets involved with this you know this lawsuit that's going on, which and he is reluctant re- to do, which he is reluctant to do, and then you have Reggie Love who's doing a case that's not. At all related to divorce or child custody. So,
2: True. Good. Good point. Point. So they point well made.
0: Yeah. So and it'd I, be funny. It'd be funny if like oh. all they want to do is be divorce attorneys, but they they keep on getting pulled away to do these like major, huge like mob or KKK related cases. <laughs>
2: and 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 they ju- all like all they want to do is be divorce attorneys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> just what I thought I just well, what the, I the thing is I they're divorce
0: out. they're divorce attorneys in order to fund their true passion. You know, standing up for the little guy because uh yeah. you know
2: Mark Sway pays her what like 2 bucks to be oh, his yeah. lawyer. So they basically do divorce litigation so that they can make enough money to, to do pro bono the, cases. Yeah, or maybe maybe it's just that Harry Rex does all of the divorce work oh. so that Reggie <laughs> I don't know. So eh, I was I was curious because I I'm like, I think Kenneth Brown character from the gingerbread man was a divorce lawyer. I oh, yeah. don't think he was a divorce lawyer, but he is divorced. So okay. imagine that's one of their maybe they were one maybe they cases. represented him. Yeah. 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 So I so many oh Tom Berenger is is in that. Right. Tom Berenger, yeah. Daryl Hannah. Wow. That was a good one. I gotta check that out again. These these Grisham
0: adaptations always have tremendous casts
2: may whitman really yes a young may okay. whitman
0: and oh this was from 1998 yeah very cool so i so, uh, yeah. i think that that kind of concludes the the first part of what we're going to be dealing with the second part's not going to be as long but uh that was
2: the pre-trial that the pre-trial. we just had we yeah. just had the jury selection <laughs> and next we go into trial baby yeah, so we're gonna take a break, and when
0: we come back, we're gonna be joined by my wife, Laura, my wife. who's going to be uh, talking us through kind of the legal accuracies and liberties taken with these movies, uh, kind of giving the the perspective of somebody who has spent time in Memphis dealing with a lot of uh, criminal justice cases, and um, also somebody
2: who has practiced. Sweaty law,
0: sweaty law, yeah. And uh, if we're lucky, she'll also tell us a story that involves the KKK in Memphis.
2: <sighs> well, I mean, there's no doubt we will. We don't have to go on a far tangent to get there. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with yes. Laura
0: Richardson, attorney at law.
2: And now the court will go to recess.
0: Uh, Mister Bergantz, you continue in this performance.
2: I'll hold
5: you in contempt. Is that understood? Overruled. Any more of that nonsense? and you're all out of here. Cross-examination, Mr. Began. Overruled.
2: Overruled. Uh, This uh, better be good, Mr. Began. And we're back.
0: Yeah. Thank you for bearing with us during that excruciatingly long period of time. Pardon me, I've had wine and a Our full recess, our extended <laughs> recess. Yeah. So uh, we are joined with us by past guest. You might remember her from our Soap Dish episode or our Running Man episode. Laura Richardson, Esquire, is here.
6: A very special guest on a very special episode. Sure.
0: Laura... Uh, would you mind giving our audience an idea of why we're bringing you back for this particular episode?
6: Because I was so good on the previous episodes, they just had to have me back. Also, I'm a lawyer.
2: Because there are... <laughs> Excuse me, Dan. There are so many
6: need, wonderful names need
0: in to, the cast. I need to call Reggie Love uh, because I need a divorce attorney.
2: <laughs> Ooh,
3: that's
6: painful. Oh, my
2: God. Oh, no, this is so awkward that I'm here for this. Oh, uh, Dan.
6: Dan. <laughs> Save uh, our marriage. I feel
2: so weird. Harry yeah. Rex. Okay, guys, Harry let's Rex. let's let's talk yeah, before you start talking, uh before you call vonner and love.
0: Yeah, Vonner the love and the, vonner. Uh yeah, so Laura, could you give us uh an actual taste of, of why why we have you here today. Yeah,
6: so um, I am a lawyer, a real-life lawyer with a JD and all that fun stuff, and I also um, worked in Memphis for a while, so you may know that as a place where many of the John Grisham novels take place or have characters from, uh, so I am a twofer here. I am a John Grisham, well, fan as well, and then also a lawyer.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but... I was thinking that it would be really cool. We teed up earlier that there were a couple of stories that uh, we wanted to know about. So clearly in A Time to Kill, there is a big KKK presence and you have a story that and before I go any further, it has a a good ending. Yes. So a, a KKK story. Would you mind letting us know about that? I don't think Dan's heard this.
6: Yeah. So, um, okay. I was a a clerk in Memphis, Tennessee in 2012 to 2013. And while I was there, uh, the City Council of Memphis decided to rename three parks that had previously had names associated with the Confederate Army or KKK members. So, there was Confederate Park, Nathan Bedford Forest Park, and Jefferson Davis Park. Big names. This part is... Hearsay—that's a legal term—but <laughs> uh, I understand that there had been an uneasy peace between the government of Memphis and the people who basically kept up these the Confederate statues at these parks, where the Memphis Council would kind of just like leave it alone, um, and it was just kind of an unspoken, "Hey, neither side is going to like make a big deal of this, but like keep it, you know, chill." And I understand, again, hearsay, that at some point, the Sons of the Confederacy or whoever actually maintained those parks took out the old signs and replaced them with like giant signs that said Confederate Park, you know, Jefferson Davis Park, and it kind of blew that truce up. And so the City Council of Memphis decided to rename those parks. As a result of that, and so this is, again, 2013, right? This feels a little bit like (laughs) what's happening now, except for seven years ago. They, you know, made these plans to rename the parks. um, And then the KKK decided that they were going to have a rally to protest. And it was, I think put together by the KKK of North Carolina. I, I don't know. Like some random state was like, yeah, we're going to we're going to go to Memphis, Tennessee, and we're going to have the biggest Klan rally like in the last decade, and there's going to be thousands of Klan members. And it was you know, kind of making people really nervous because there had actually been a Klan rally in Memphis in 98 and that had kind of erupted into violence and um, protesters were arrested. And so people were really nervous about it. um, And it created a lot of strange situations. Uh, Like, for example, one of the local Crip, well, the local Crip gang, Crips gang, and one of the local KKK groups (laughs) jointly released a statement saying that they were protesting the KKK protest which is beyond bizarre so basically like one of the local KKK groups said we're not into this KKK rally so comes upon time they were
2: lowercase k's they were
6: like "Eh, we like we k but we don't kkk you know we're like a 1 to 2k 2k and a half
0: they're more of a Ku Klux club
6: yeah they're like, we like the name. We like the robes. We don't love the racism and the, yeah. Anyhow.
0: We don't like to make a big thing of it.
6: We're really low-key. We're the new clan. We're um, more of
2: a living room, sit around and chat. Less of a March, burn it's crosses. It's a social
6: club. Yeah. A
2: social club. Yeah, exactly. Please, but please, I am sorry. Please <laughs> go on. That was one I just couldn't keep in.
6: No, I mean, you had to. So so anyhow, it gets to the day. Um the KKK show up, there's like 60 KKK. They're not allowed to wear masks. And they're in this like area between courthouses. And the Memphis police are there, mostly black because Memphis is a city that's, I think, 62% black. And there are more cops than there are protesters. And they create this like circle around the protesters. So it's a bunch of like, essentially black policemen encircling this tiny group of protesters.
0: How many would you say there were?
6: Yeah, like 61 protesters. 61? Like something like that. Like between 60 and 70, more like 60. And like Klansmen? Yes.
2: Or like Klansmen okay. in
6: the robes. And some neo-Nazis too. And the
2: police were protecting them.
6: Yes. But there, they were
2: this circle of protection around them.
6: Exactly. There were more protesters than there were Klan members. The protesters were really peaceful. They could okay. they couldn't hear the Klan members. And The the my favorite part the clan members had brought a megaphone and they ran out of batteries so they were like shouting things like white power and no one could hear them
2: (laughs) so just like oh my god. I'm sorry, John, we were talking before about Django Unchained. Right. And again, I'm thinking of this with Jonah Hill. And, oh my God. Um, the eye holes. Oh, who else is? Yeah, the whole thing with the eye holes and like whose wife made the hoods. Yeah. And oh, oh my God. All right. I'm sorry, please.
6: It was <laughs> farce. It was absolutely farce. Like the fact that the protesters had, they couldn't even be mad at anything because they couldn't hear the clan members. And it was rain. It was like a miserable day. It had been a beautiful week. And then that day, During that protest, it was just like torrential rain on these people who had the saddest little Klan rally of all time.
0: So, Laura, what was it like to clerk for a judge in Memphis?
6: It was an education. Mm -hmm. I mean, more than just getting to see, you know, how litigation works and getting the access to the courthouses and kind of learning about process. uh, The thing that was really interesting for me was being a white woman from the Northwest and living in a Southern area that has a predominantly black population. And so it was just a totally different world for me culturally and and in every other way. And, you know, when you're in a courthouse, you see this weird kind of cross section of people from Memphis. And so that was what we saw. And so there were lots of black defendants, white defendants, a ton of sovereign citizens, so mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone, if you two are aware of that, but essentially these are people who think that the federal government does not have any control over them. It's very bizarre when you read into like what their actual beliefs are.
2: Uh, and John, was there not a, an episode of Mr. Show? Yep. I was
0: just going to say the same thing. There is a, a Mr. Show oh, sketch. I, I thought so. <laughs> it, and it's like a uh, an Olympic style ceremony for people who are sovereign states. Yes, yeah, so it's like they yeah. have declared their own nation and it's there. Uh, Laura, I, I don't know why I haven't shown this to you yet because I know you bring up sovereign citizens oh, I bring a it up lot. all the time. Yeah. yeah, there's a Mr. Show sketch cool. for everything.
4: And we are back with the opening ceremonies of the Independent Nations Games. This is exciting, Tom. Sure is. You know, the FBI's new policy of conceding to separatists has led to the formations of so many little countries, and that's led to these wonderful games. They
2: are wonderful, Bob. These are new countries. They're small countries. Some of them have no more than two or three people, but their competitive spirit surely looms large. Indeed, it does. Uh, joining us now is the ruler of New Freeland and also a recent emigrate to these United States, Mountain Dougie. Good to have you, Mountain. Good to have you. I love this country. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. All right, Good back indeed. to the athletes. Representing free mania, that is Chester Hasbro he'll be competing in three events Chester Hasbro the discus the pole vault and the common-law wife swap always a very important event. He's yes a good indeed. man
4: He is a good man. I'm sure he is and next to him. We've got Gary better be wary Vendeneer from the new Republic of Gary. see the G on the flag. Gary's gonna be competing in the tumbling the threatening and the 400-meter food horde mm. Now Gary's from the state of Montana Oh, they're all from Montana, Bob. Oh, don't tell them that.
2: <laughs> but I mean, living in living in Oregon. Oh yeah, I think don't oh, don't tons. you also? Have, be, I mean, we were even because we ended up drive when we drove back. Uh, we had been down in in Manzanita, and uh, we were taken. Our GPS took us on a detour uh, through a more rural area uh-huh. than uh, than the regular route, kind of up I five. If you're familiar with your west coast highways but you know and we really saw you know it it very it was different and this is of course while you know all of the 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 protests were happening in in portland and we're driving through and there's all these you know every different type of trump 2020 Banner, But also just driving through and I was talking to Alicia, my wife, who for those who don't know her, she's from Belgium. So we kind of we're talking about how, you know, it's really not that far outside of cities like Portland and Seattle, where you have a lot of not uh, of not just, you know, white nationalist groups, but also sovereign citizens who, you know, well, you're you're more uh, apt to able to just hardly
6: because honestly what they ascribe to is so cuckoo bananas that it's actually hard for me to comprehend but it's funny because you're right there is a huge sovereign citizen movement um but i never really got access to like what that meant from a process standpoint until i worked for a judge mm-hmm. And then you see it in action and they basically, I mean, some of them come in and they're like filing a hundred motions saying, you don't have jurisdiction over me, federal government. (laughs) And And there was one where it was just like, I can't remember any details nor would I tell you if I could, but essentially it was a person talking about how there's like a bond on each of us and that You know when the government got rid of gold and that they put a bond in each individual and like it's so rambling. I I read it four times and I just couldn't even understand it. But it is a it is the basis of a belief system that a lot of people share and it goes through (laughs) prisons. Like wildfire, I mean, prisoners file oh. these motions all the time oh, because I bet. yeah,
2: that makes sense, yeah, yeah, but it's interesting because as because they are using the very system that they say totally. they are not a part yes. of, and as you say, like they're filing motions, I'm like, so they are participating in the thing they say they ha- want to have no part of
6: right, and, and it's funny because I think i, I if I recall correctly. Sovereign citizenism citizenism? Sovereign citizens. citizens <laughs> patrol. Patrol. <laughs> is is very um like heavily tied in with white nationalism or white supremacy. Oh, yeah, I bet. but it's yeah. funny because like it started there, but when it went through the jails, it became more diverse. So you had all kinds of people, whether they're white or black or Hispanic, filing motions based upon the sovereign citizen argument. That call, has roots call, call roots. John
0: Grisham he's got to be writing about this
6: doo, doo, doo. hi John it's me Laura we're
2: sorry you have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service
6: I
0: don't
2: have his number <laughs> I, I'm um, going to put in the like do 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 you have dialed the wrong number <laughs> John, what, John I'm, I'm looking at, so and I was curious because I am in Oregon the Bundys, The, the Bundys. Bundy standoff Yeah. 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 those freaking um, guys yeah, wasn't that a sovereign citizen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ship
6: deal? Citizenship. Yeah. And you do get a lot of filings in Oregon, too. Even as a civil litigator in Oregon, sometimes civil litigants would file um, basically sovereign claims.
2: So in, in Memphis, would it be a lot of like Appalachians?
6: Not really. That's no. so Memphis is really a an urban area and it's right next to Arkansas. So it's not really Appalachian. It's really more urban. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't know if, if it would be, you know, people from throughout the state.
6: No. coming. So it's, and it's a having regional. these cases. Yeah. Okay. So it's definitely regional. Oh, so mem-
2: so Memphisians, uh, if you will.
6: Yes. People from Western Tennessee, including mem- Memphisians, Memphians. Excuse oh, me, Memphians.
2: Okay. Memphians, my apologies. I've I've been. I was at Memphis you for Rube. a weekend <laughs> once. Yeah, no, I I, you know, it, it was it was raining, uh, pretty hard, so we didn't get to see much of Memphis. Did get to go to Graceland, which highly recommend for anyone visiting Memphis. Live
6: there for a year, never made it.
2: We'll we'll have to go. Oh my god, we'll have to go. I know. Yeah, you have to see it to believe it. Graceland is freaking crazy. All right. <laughs>
6: and not to be Memphis tourism board, but I do want to say really quickly, Memphis is one of the, my favorite cities on earth. I have never fallen so hard for a place. It is an amazing place to visit. There's so much history there. The people are so kind. And it, it does sometimes feel like you're living in a John Grisham novel in the good way. Okay.
2: How? But so explain. So as a John Grisham fan and a lawyer in Memphis, what like what was kind of the crossover? What does he really capture? Well,
6: he captures the community of of the legal profession. So one of the things that you'll see in his books is there's really like this cast of characters, right? And It's judges and lawyers and clerks, and and they all seem to live in the same world and interact in a way that almost feels fictional. Because you're like, well, how could they possibly run into each other this many times? But when you're in Memphis, you see that this is a small community in which they have a lot of really close relationships. So you'll go out to lunch and you're downtown and you will like run into the mayor of Memphis and you'll run into like a judge. And it's that kind of community that kind of makes you realize, oh, this is a a city that's like mid-sized city, but it feels like a small town.
0: And is that like so the way it would that... It, not? I just want to know, is that also to your knowledge, the way that it is in other cities like that in the South?
6: I can only speak for Memphis, but I I can't I can't imagine that there isn't that feeling other places too. And I've practiced now in three cities, Portland, Los Angeles, and Memphis, and I've not found that anywhere but Memphis.
0: Yeah, the reason why I ask is because in a time to kill, you know, Kevin Spacey's character who's the DA, like he's very well aware of who Jake Brigance is, and uh, he's like isn't he still in law school? Like he talks about him like he you know knows a ton of stuff about him
4: haley's hired an attorney jake (laughs) brigands and today ain't even my birthday brigands couldn't tie his own tie without that old drunk will banks well he's telling the press he never lost a murder case yeah well he's never tried one against me has he
0: but of course he is at a much higher level why would he know about this peon but if that's kind of like the way that things run
6: one, Time to Kill is a much smaller place than Memphis. But but yes, I mean, I think there is that it is a small, tight-knit legal community that you have the same people running in and you run into them over and over again. Yeah.
0: Well, what I was saying is because I feel like Kevin Spacey's character, I don't think that he's like a Madison County... Person, you know, he alludes to you know having aspirations of becoming mayor in the not mayor governor well, in governor, the near future. Governor, yeah, yeah.
6: Does anyone in a John Grisham book not have aspirations of becoming <laughs> governor? I just want to ask. Well, myself. Does any, it,
2: does any district attorney or U.S. attorney in a Grisham book not have some type of nickname like Reverend, Reverend Roy yeah. or Governor? Yeah, and so what I, I'm curious to know though how much interaction would you say you or other Memphis lawyers would have had with let's say uh, New Orleans based lawyers
6: not much personally but then again I was only there for a year I think if you had someone who practiced regionally and had cases all over you'd see them quite frequently
2: so so it would not be unrealistic to say that characters from multiple John Grisham stories would you, you to see Dan's Dan's whiteboard. <laughs> having <laughs> oh, I'll show you my whiteboard. Oh dear, this will be on Instagram.
0: Oh no! Yeah, that's uh, Dan's whole John Grisham verse uh, theories. Just theory charts.
2: And and by the way, and it's and probably since I took the picture of it last, there were questions on here that have been answered. Oh, because I had. I had some questions, and of course, I you know did some researching to describe answering.
6: this visually to everybody. It looks like Dan is chasing a serial killer. We talked about it earlier. Okay, just let me make sure.
2: I I am ch- I am chasing a serial, but more in the vein of a television series. Right. Yes. So, uh, Laura, before we and I hope it's killer. <laughs> before we talk
0: uh, more about your love for the Grishams, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your experiences in the south and what we didn't talk about earlier dan is you know well we touched on how if a time to kill came out now it would be given the like green book eye roll
2: it would be green booked. it would
0: be green booked especially since there are movies that have a similar tone and vibe that are that feel much more appropriate like just mercy
2: just, just, I was thinking
0: that. Yeah, as well, and I'm just surprised Mercy. we didn't talk yeah. about it until this point. Uh, Laura, have you seen no. Just
6: Mercy? I have not, but okay, I believe should, I've read it. one of the books he's written. And someone I, I know haven't went haven't seen it yet you haven't seen it,
0: it's excellent. It's Michael B. Jordan, first I mean, of all. So, hello. Come on. But it is about, you know, Jamie Foxx plays a death row inmate who uh, Michael B. Jordan's character is trying to get off of death row. And... Uh, it made me think a lot about a particular experience that you had in Alabama, if you're willing to talk about that.
6: Yeah, so again, I'm not getting into details, Uh, but um, I was part of a pro bono team that was um, doing the appeals for somebody who had been convicted of a capital crime and sentenced to death. And so we uh, went out to Alabama and uh, were there for a couple of days for an evidentiary hearing. And it was really interesting because... I went to law school to be a public defender for mentally ill juveniles. Yeah, that's pretty niche. Um, but I definitely had this social justice bent when I went to law school. And of course, then I ended up becoming a corporate attorney. Yeah, for hey. a tech company. Um, And before that, like a big firm lawyer. But, you know, that was always really important to me. Gotta pay the bills. Well, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also going to law school after the great financial breakdown of 2008 eight. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, so in, in law school, you know, I did the Supreme court clinic and I was, uh, doing work for the innocence project and I went to juvenile hall and ran one of those clinics. And, uh, Then you represent somebody on death row and that's kind of the accumulation, right, of your legal education and your social justice bent on the world and then, um, you know, doing the service that you need to do to your community as a lawyer. But it was a really emotionally difficult process and you become close to this person and it doesn't, it's not about whether they've committed the crime that they're accused of or not. It's about You know, were they given a fair trial and did people follow the right process? Um, And did they have a fair shake? And our client is black, um, was black. I guess he's not my client anymore. But, you know, the question is, did he get a fair trial being a black man in the South? And some of the things that are brought up in a time to kill are really, a lot of it's not totally accurate. But some of the stuff that was accurate is the all-white juries. I mean, that's very common. Um, additionally, Alabama is one of the states that still had, um, as of a couple years ago, uh, you didn't have to have a unanimous jury for the death sentence. And so there's mm. still a couple, well, I should say there were a couple states that still had non-unanimous juries for serious crimes, Oregon being one of them, but the Supreme Court a couple years ago, um, or a year ago had, uh, said that you, you can't have non-unanimous juries for severe crimes at least, um. So I think now the states that still had that have, um, have changed those laws, but you think about things like, yeah, you know, someone can live in a predominantly black community and still have an all white jury and the way that this ends up happening, right. is You get a jury pool and then there are preemptory challenges and then there are challenges for cause and the preemptory challenges can be used on anybody for no reason. And so if you want to have a jury that's in favor of the death penalty for a black defendant, um, a common method that prosecutors use is to get rid of all the black members of the jury. And there's a court case or a Supreme Court case that was decided, um, I don't remember when, but it's, it's basically it's uh, something versus Batson. And so when you, when you want to challenge a jury um, basically on the basis that jurors were challenge or kept off the jury based on their race or gender or whatever else, you file a, a Batson challenge. But it is really, really hard to prove that race or gender was the reason that a juror was held right. off of a jury. So anyhow, it's not uncommon to have these all white juries in the South for black defendants. And there's a lot of there are a lot of studies out there that show that you are less likely to get a fair trial if you are a black person and have an all white jury.
0: Yeah
2: how beyond sad awful is it that this Tim I'm listening to you say this and I'm thinking yeah of course right and yeah he has Samuel L Jackson has that line he says that's a jury of my peers yeah, yeah. and yeah I mean it, it's kind it's crazy that it, it it is legal at all to have an imbalance, I I think, of almost any kind in a jury. And, and and I know that there's only so much balance you can achieve or attain in certain parts, but I feel like having the most balanced jury as possible ensures it, the truest form of justice possible.
6: Well, and I think person. it's important for people to remember that a lot of laws were passed with the, not just with an impact that's disproportionate on black people in America, but for that purpose. So states that had, um, that didn't require unanimous juries. Most of them, if you look back at the legislative history, they did that on purpose and it was for racial reasons, racist reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's part of the reason that the Supreme court, you know, stepped in with Batson as well, talking about how, so many things that make it difficult to be a black defendant are built into our laws. And it is, it is all basically, um, like now those laws have a disproportionate impact at the time they were enacted. They had a disproportionate, they had an intent of racism, an intent of discrimination, mm-hmm. and you can't get rid of that. You can't get rid of the impact of that until you get rid of the law because the law was passed for that reason.
2: And it, to me, it takes me back. Back to the documentary, The 13th, which I've mentioned before, and I basically don't shut up about because <laughs> that film, uh, which is available to stream on Netflix, also for free on YouTube, and I'm sure other outlets, but the amount of information and history that you see just shows how much legislation at the state level at the local level at the state level at the at the federal level is motivated by by race and what she what ava duvernay shows in the 13th it, it is basically maintaining slavery and maintaining control yeah. of black people by taking advantage of that clause in the 13th amendment that that uh, you know, citizens, no citizen shall be enslaved by another with the exception of those duly convicted, uh, for crimes or I'm paraphrasing, but that's, you, you know, it's that loophole that basically says, yeah, no, we're going to still have slavery. We're just going to kind of change the requirements and then we're going to put out the conditions so that the people we want to meet those requirements, meet those requirements.
6: Well, and I think people, they say that we're in a different society. We know we're colorblind. We don't care about things like race. And and the thing is that I, I don't think that they don't believe that. I think that they don't understand that if you build a world based upon corrupt, broken structure, that world will reflect that structure and it will be as flawed as what it started with. And you really have to go back to the beginning and reframe things, recreate laws, like think from scratch, because everything you've built on top of it has been built upon these discriminatory laws.
0: Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what Samuel L. Jackson's character, what, you know, Carly says uh, to Matthew McConaughey in, uh, at the end of A Time to Kill, you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't, this doesn't mean that we're equal or that, you know, you like he doesn't say that you know doesn't mean that you're not racist. it just means that we're in a
2: different place right now, but yeah, well, and because Jake benefits from right representing carly yeah he's his his profile gets you know like he's, oh isn't totally. he in law school well yeah so and it's not yeah, like he's it's not is, like he's
0: doing a pro bono he's still taking the money that was collected you know to pay for i think it said it's like fifty thousand dollars or something to pay the legal fees
2: yeah so there's that i mean but no i laura i i totally i agree with you um completely i i was just you know in a in an exchange on social media talking about how I really think um much of our constitution the language needs to be updated and we and some things need to be specified and made clear and there's so much of the language in the legislation that leaves it so open for interpretation that we have discrimination. We have you know things like the uh, uh, Religious Freedom Act, mm-hmm. the thing that that lets you not sell cakes to gay couples. I think really going back to the to the Constitution, which was built for, which was built to evolve with society. Why don't we take advantage of that and take what's there and?
6: Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's impossible to make any changes to it because of the process for amending the constitution.
2: Well, we need to change. We need. We need. We need a big overturn.
6: But you need to in, amend the constitution Congress and to amend the constitution.
2: Yeah,
0: and also I'm going to give you a few words that explain exactly why things aren't changing. Person, woman, man, camera, TV. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't been reading the news the past no, day.
2: I I have. I think it's a signal. I think he's sending a code. I'm trying to think because person P could that stand for Putin? I don't know. Oh, definitely. Uh,
0: So I, yeah, yeah. Laura, as soon as there's an opportunity, when the time is right, we will watch just mercy because I think that you're going to really, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult to watch. And of course it's going to make you, uh, you know, think about a lot of your past experiences And uh, but I think that you'll really appreciate the way that it's done because it's it's an excellent, excellent movie.
6: And I just want to say, like, all of these opinions are my own. Obviously, Um, I don't speak for anybody else, but God, I'm such a lawyer sometimes. Um, (laughs) But I do want to say, even if it's not possible to change the laws, even if we can't change all the laws that were based on discrimination and keeping people out of enjoying the same rights as other people, what we can do is look at the history of those laws and understand what they were done for, understand the impact that they had, and and know that rather than just thinking that the law has always been the law. And if it's the law now, then it must have been passed under the same intent as it was passed now, which is just not true.
2: What I really wanted to ask Laura, and I know, you know, eventually the conversation's going to have to end because you have watched these movies recently. Um, I presume you have not read the books again recently. No, I have not. no. But having watched the movies again recently, and you've said, you know, some things are really accurate, some things are far-fetched. I'm curious, because I have some specific questions, but I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just kind of going through each of the movies and just what stood out to you as like, wow, they nailed that, or like, well, that is, that would never happen.
6: Well, John and I have talked about the sweaty attorney situation, and right. as, a, <laughs> as an attorney who practiced in Memphis, I can tell you I was pretty sweaty.
0: Yeah. And this is significantly later in time. I mean, A Time to Kill, well, Time to Kill wasn't Memphis, but A Time to Kill was, it takes place in the 80s. So we're still talking, we're talking, you know, 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, still, still sweaty in the still South, Still
6: sweaty in the South. So that was accurate. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Just drenched in sweat.
0: Well, I'm always curious to know about the portrayal of actual like, courtroom courtroom behavior and how judges respond to... The judges... And, and I will say, you did make a comment when we were watching A Time to Kill about the cross-examination of, I think it was one of the expert witnesses?
6: It was the expert witness for the state. It was the doctor. Roadheaver. Yes. Sure. Names? No, thank you. Most yes. court appearances, <laughs> and I'm not talking about trials necessarily, are pretty tame like tame to just straight up boring. And that's not a knock on anyone who's in a court. It's not a TV show. It's not like supposed to be exciting and glamorous. It is a job where you have a judge who's doing their job and lawyers are doing their jobs, a court stenographer who's doing their job. Um, Trial, of course, it it can be very colorful. So that part of it, I don't think is totally outrageous. Um, I think some of the things that Matthew McConaughey was doing was really pushing his luck with the judge. And the judge said, you know, I'm going to hold you in contempt. And uh, I think it'd be a pretty bold lawyer to push it that many times with the judge. Not that it's, it's never happened. It. I'll allow it. <laughs> Overruled. I want to hear what s- he says.
2: Sus, <laughs> s- Not so fast, Mr. Buckley. <laughs> um,
6: You know, and some judges feel, I think, very like circuit masters, right? Circus masters? No, that's not a...
2: Ring leaders?
0: Ring leaders? Ring masters?
6: Ring masters.
2: Ring masters. masters. We we got there. We got
6: there.
2: Okay. Ring masters, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Yeah, but
6: I think other judges are just like, look, this is a trial. We're just trying to get through this. Um, These are people alive. Like, let's not mess around. Um, So I don't think it was accurate or inaccurate. Um, I definitely think, (laughs) like some of the stuff he did in that, to me, a judge would be like, this is a mistrial. Like, you can't unprejudice the jury after you say something like that the police officer who had his leg amputated says, I would have killed them. And I'm like, let him free! Yeah, I'm like, that would be a mistrial. Yeah. To me. You can't come back from that.
2: But it's such a great moment. It's
6: a really great (laughs) moment. It is a great moment. No, no, no. It's a great Hollywood moment. It's a bad um, trial moment. Well,
0: also... In a time to kill, the entire thing seems to take place in, I don't know, five days?
6: Capital trials take a very long time. Um, and this kind of leaves well, out... So they they talk about this motion for change of venue, right? right. So that is a very common mm-hmm. motion that would be filed in a capital crime because you have a lot of coverage of the capital crime and you want to avoid a jury that's been too kind of persuaded by the coverage. Um, but The pretrial motions. I mean, sometimes there's 10, 20, 30, 40 pretrial motions. And so you're talking about days, weeks to get through that. So, I mean, you know, it's a movie, you can't show like day 29, day 60.
2: Um, yeah, you can, I mean, you can,
6: you can actually put up a number that says day 29, um, but really quickly, going back to what John was talking about with cross-examining the state's um, doctor. So this made me laugh because honestly, it is really hard to find a doctor to testify for the defense, especially a good doctor who will testify for the amount of money that you have.
0: Right. Well, I mean, the doctor that they have testified for the defense is the drunk buddy of the mentor. <laughs>
6: But that's not uncommon. It's actually really difficult as a defendant to find a doctor or other kind of forensic expert to testify on your behalf because most, um, for example, most coroners are employed by the state. Right. So they are the people who have the most experience with dead bodies and forensic evidence. Right. So they're not going to testify for the defense because it's a conflict.
0: Right. Mm. Yeah, there's not a lot of freelance coroners out there.
6: Exactly. And then also Dexter. <laughs> Dexter. Um, Dexter. 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 Why not? Why not? Dexter. Dexter. Dexter.
0: Dexter. I don't Dexter. think that Jiminy ever in uh, interviewed no. Dexter, no. the serial killer.
6: Um, he's a real person, right? Dan's hunting him on his whiteboard. Tell me about Blood spatter.
0: <laughs>
2: Fatter. What's that about? It's
6: very artistic,
2: isn't it? Reminds me of a painting by Jackson Pollock.
0: <laughs> Just Laura, are you not familiar with Jiminy Glick?
6: Oh, yeah, now I see it.
0: Kiefer.
2: <laughs> Kiefer. Kiefer. <laughs> Kiefer. Okay, so...
0: So,
6: all
2: right.
0: it, it can be very so, hard to okay,
6: find yes. a good defense <laughs> witness who is not crazy expensive.
0: Hold up. There is also a Mr. Show sketch about expert witnesses people who are just kind of uh career expert <laughs> witnesses for trials and there's like a room of them and whenever somebody needs one they just kind of let say all hey. right i need a flag
4: expert and i need an expert on donkey basketball all right and i need a hooker i mean i need an expert on hookers good that's gonna do it thank you
1: sir hi um you got anything for me today sorry kid oh full up please Please. I can be an expert on anything. Just give me a chance. I, I work hard. My family is very hungry. I'm very hungry.
5: Well, can you handle 10 ways to please your man?
3: <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
6: well, so this is what you get, though, in trial, right? So, like, let's say there's an evidentiary hearing and the state has their doctor and the defense has their doctor. The defense cross-examines the state's doctor and says, how many times have you testified? How many times have you found that the person Uh is insane? And they're like, never. Right? That's how you basically undermine the jury's confidence in their evaluation. Then (laughs) the state says to the defense's witness, well, how many times have you testified? How many times have you testified for the defense? And if you're paying somebody, right, that's their job is testifying for the defense. So they're going to be like, it's 50 times. Yeah. How many times have you found that a defendant is not insane? So it's very funny because you basically have these battling doctors, one of whom is spending most of their career on the prosecutorial side, on the state side. And the other that's spending at least the second half of their career on the defense side.
0: Huh. So, Laura, I'd love to know because I know you are a fan of a lot of these Grisham adaptation movies. Sure. Am. I I mean this is a Grishams. this is a two-part question. Grisham head. Which is your favorite just as a movie in general and which is your favorite or which do you feel is the most I guess true to life granted they are all very extreme and you know caricatures of yeah. of, of legal situations but which do you feel Although, that you've seen yeah. is Closer to, and I, you haven't seen the firm, is that right? I've not
6: seen the firm. Okay, the one but that's a
0: more that's a more different.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's like a psychological, yeah, kind sexy, of a erotic unique. thriller. It's less no? of
0: a courtroom,
2: uh, more of a mafia thing. Yeah. yeah,
6: then I have no idea what the firm's about. Th-
2: there's some sexy time Ooh. in there, yeah. but so uh, so yeah. yeah, I'd love to love to hear your thoughts.
6: Yeah. So my favorite, and I think John knows this because I got really mad at him when he did not share my enthusiasm for the Pelican, the Pelican Brief. Brief. Yeah, I just love the Pelican Brief. I
0: thought I, I'm surprised that you didn't say Runaway Jury because no. I feel like you've told me.
6: I love Runaway Jury. Don't get me wrong. Okay. It's a great movie, but it's always Pelican Brief for me. Okay. I'll always go back to it.
2: You know, Laura, you and your sister-in-law, my wife share a not just a passion for Grisham movies, but a, I think a passion for the same ones. Though I think the f- the firm is probably her favorite, but she will watch Haven't the firm, that. the Pelican Brief, or Runaway Jury. Any, I, any time I really she enjoyed Runaway does Jury does not like. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. She doesn't like the Schumachers. Sh- uh, she well, she likes the client. She doesn't like a time to a kill. Time I think to kill it's, is, it's, a time it's to too kill is a time to kill is it's it's her.
0: a bit much. A- the client is the client is really exciting to watch over and over again.
6: I have mixed and it's, feelings it's about
2: the client. It's just kind of, yeah. yeah. Okay, so why? Let's let's talk. Let's talk about that.
6: Well, I mean, Will the witness America's elaborate? Sweetheart.
2: I'll allow it.
6: <laughs> America's Sweetheart. Julia Roberts. This is my summation.
0: But America's Sweetheart was John Cusack from Runaway Jerry in the movie America's Sweetheart. America's Sweethearts?
2: But so was Julia's... Jo- but so was... but uh oh, that Catherine ca- Zeta no, jones No, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones was the other half of the American Sweethearts with John Cusack. Okay, I'm sorry. Julia Roberts was was the third wheel. Yeah.
6: Right. Right, right. Anyhow, America's Real Sweetheart, not from America's Sweetheart, not John Cusack, Julia Roberts. Oliver Platt. Oh, sorry, Julia right. Roberts. Um, She's, like, amazing to me in that movie. I don't know. I... Who knows why anybody feels a certain way about a movie, but watched Pelican Brief when I was in high school, bought it on VHS, and then have watched it pretty often since then. So I'd say the one that to me feels the most, um, in some ways, plausible is Rainmaker. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: That was my guess. Rainmaker, we were
0: talking about it before. Great movie. It's a great movie. uh, I haven't watched it. In a a few years, but it's, it's great. I I love it a lot. It's great. But
2: I, I have always felt that that plot, that story is very much, I don't want to say ripped from the headlines because that sounds sensational, but the, the insurance company screwing over somebody who's truly in need and, and terminally ill. Um,
6: I mean, think about the movie dark waters aspect. It is the dark waters for the insurance company. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: I I think that Rainmaker is an awesome movie,
2: but that's what I would have guessed is the most. I think the Schumacher ones are the truest to the spirit of like a beach read,
0: yeah, or a plantation read, as it were. With you, Dan.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I, there was a beach there, <laughs> but so uh, th- we're
0: uh, Dan. I, Dan read some Grishams on one of our vacations to uh, Georgia as as children.
6: A plantation? Where we stayed
2: at Judge Noose's house. Oh, Judge Noose's no. house. Yes. The, we stayed at Judge Noose's plantation. Yeah. Uh, not true. Well, You're no, looking, it was, judge yeah.
0: Noose was the judge from A Time to Kill. Ah. His house was a plantation. We did not stay at a plantation.
2: We Wasn't Sea Island, wasn't that property th- but, but formerly we were, a right, plantation? But we were on a
0: resort on a, yeah.
2: We were in the domestic quarters anyway not in the main house anyway
0: so laura has been watching a few of the other schumacher movies with you know this is we're closing up our july wait
6: before we go to july can i just do one thing really quickly hit me for all those i'm not gonna hit you give me reggie love (laughs) i wanted to hire her um
0: You can get Harry Rex.
6: Oh God, (laughs) Um, he he makes a lot of dough,
0: sweetheart. All right, go on.
6: Uh, so John Grisham books. What I love about them is how they're legitimately funny. Like they're very funny books. A lot of them because they have characters Uh and they have like mix-ups, and you know they're drenched in southern sweat. I knew you were going to say Swear. that. I just knew it.
0: Well, you set, you set it up. I did.
6: <laughs> I, did <laughs> I did. And I, I knew I was setting you up, and yet I still got mad about it. Um, let's table that for our divorce talk. Uh, sustained. Sustained of a rolled. Um, but one of John Grisham's best books is his nonfiction book, The Innocent Man. And I would just recommend if you want a John Grisham style book meaning his cadence, his imagination, but a true story that is horrifying. The Innocent Man is an incredible book. Um, And I would read it with Ordinary Injustice, which is another fabulous nonfiction book, more academic, but also very compelling. Um, And I think some of what you read would would shock you about our justice system. It shocked me. Very depressing.
0: I don't know if I need to know more at this present time about the justice system if it is give me a few years if
2: it is if it is more than what i have already learned from sources such as the 13th uh then i I don't know that i would be shocked as much as just enraged yeah further enraged additionally enraged so before so, so yeah so we're closing up july yeah
0: yeah, Laura has watched a few of the Joel Schumacher movies with me. I we talked a little bit about cousins earlier, and I mentioned that you could not take your eyes off that screen.
6: I could see that it was a mess in some ways, but I still had to have it.
0: Yeah, it, that movie it. is definitely candy. Yeah. yeah. Sweet, uh, were there some other ones? Did you watch any? Did you watch Flatliners with me or I Lost like Boys or anything? I Boys. on Flatliners.
6: I watched Lost Boys with you before because I'd never seen it. Oh, and did we watch that one? We watched that one together. And
0: what a movie, huh?
6: Oh my gosh. What a movie. But yeah. the shirtless saxophone oh. dude.
0: One thing, okay. So Tim Capello. Uh, one thing that we The be- MVP Something that July. I did not mention about Tim Capello and Laura is going to crack up when I bring this up. Sure am. Oh, you know what I'm gonna talk about. Definitely. So uh at one point when we were still living in Los Angeles, I was living in the guest house of this uh wonderful little family, and the 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 kid, he was four or five at the time, probably five, precocious kid, Levi, great kid. Uh he would come into my place and we would, you know, you know, just kind of like hang out for a few minutes before he like got bored and would go off and do his own thing. If my, you know, door was open or whatever. And he, Laura and I were hanging out. This is when Laura and I were like first starting to see each other and Levi like popped in and we, for some reason started talking about saxophones and he did not know what a saxophone was. And so I was just like, oh, hold on. Hold <laughs> up the clip from The Lost Boys.
6: When John tells this story, I cannot believe I married him. Like, what?
0: Yeah, and you really? we were not engaged at that time. You're- you had an out. You could have I gotten had an out. I out. So uh, Levi just like put his hands oh, well. over his eyes and like left.
2: <laughs> he we're, could still, not we we're still friends, I it's love- okay. I love that. That is your, that is your gut reaction to a four or five year old never having seen a saxophone before. Not just like looking up a saxophone or like Clarence Clemens. <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: I'm like, who would who would Clarence I'm Clemens like, is not my guy. Tim is someone... my guy.
2: But but you are just like, look at this gif of this muscular. Oh no, it
0: wasn't a gif. It was a it was we a full video. Went to yeah. the video.
6: Yeah.
2: <laughs> i can't believe we're married. <laughs> um so i guess the one of the questions that we talked about from you know from the beginning of july was kind of what would you say is is the film that best represents joel schumacher as a director right, right? that Yeah, that I mean, and maybe not necessarily like, quote unquote, his best, like most like highest quality film. But what is the film that if someone was like, I want to watch a movie that shows me who Joel Schumacher was as a director, what would it what would it be for you?
0: Well, for me, it's really challenging because, yes, there are those themes that come in all of the Joel Schumacher movies but he does have a range in tone and theme and there are a lot of cases where he really strays from what you would expect i mean cousins itself tonally is extremely different from falling down or flatliners like you know he yeah. he really shows range or even something like flawless and
1: flawless, yeah, flawless i have yeah. not
0: seen phantom of the opera which it's interesting that that is the kind of first when you look up Joel Schumacher on IMDb, that's like the first one that comes up for him.
6: That's surprising. I would have thought it would have been the Batman movies. Well, the
0: algorithm for IMDb is pretty mysterious, but I think it has to do with just like what people are looking up most during that time. And I guess Phantom of the Opera, for some reason, people are more interested right now. But yes, I, I agree. And we talked about this earlier where it's like, when you see articles about his death, it's like, Batman director Joel Schumacher, Batman and Lost Boys director. Those those come up right. a lot. Right, it's always
2: something and Batman. Yeah,
0: Batman comes up a lot. And I think that because those were such high profile movies and because they were riddled riddled riddle me this. Riddled with con- oh, riddled with such sustained. such controversies as nipples on the bat suit. Oh that, that. you know it's they stand out and even though they're not revered as good movies, they're remembered as being like, how many movies come out a year that nobody even remembers about? Like so many, maybe not this year for, you know, coronavirus reasons.
2: Yep. And yep. the Oscar goes Bad to boys Sonic for the Hedgehog. Life will be a- <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, Bad Boys for Life, Birds of Prey, which I'm... so. I'm so grateful that we saw not that Bad Boys for Life was that terrible, but I'm really grateful that we saw 1917 mm. when we were in Austin because that is the last movie that I it could have been a saw a whole lot in the worse theater. So many people saw like Cats was the last yeah, movie they saw I in the theater. And I'm like, oh good. All right. My last movie theater experience was 1917 yeah. and and it was great.
0: So so anyway, to answer your question, for me, I feel like Flatliners is actually like quintessential Joel Schumacher. Because even though it is out there in every single way, people have very mixed feelings about it. It is an it's an awesome story, which I know he didn't write it, but it's an awesome story. I feel like the way it's displayed matches the tone and the themes in the movie. It is... The the, the set decoration is completely out there. Um, costumes for that one are a bit of an outlier in that there's nothing that really stands out. I mean, it's very of its time.
2: I object. Okay. I'll allow it. Objection. Objection. Sustained. I would say the red, the, the red hooded sweatshirt of Billy Mahoney. Oh, yeah. Is, it's
0: okay. It's memorable, it, but it's not flashy in the way
2: that like, the, uh, the like the Oliver Platt's doesn't he like his, his, his prop, his tape, like he had a very defined look. Billy Baldwin's skeleton. Oh, like, you know, right. What the are Halloween party. Uh, costume, his Halloween costume. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, th- yeah. So, I think that but it's not as prominent as it was in something like uh The Lost Boys or The Client, The Client. Well,
2: anyway, bury the Blade. Yeah.
0: And but in Flatliners you do get the crazy automobile. You get lots of crazy scenery, you get really bananas lighting. And I don't know, I, I think that that for me really defines, you know, that's a perfect example of a Joel Schumacher movie.
2: Well, and Flatliners also another feature, uh, I think a, a key feature of Joel Schumacher's signature work is kind of that young ensemble right. that we get in St. Almost Fire and uh, Lost Boys. You name and... it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mo- you know, most of them. Like, there's there's outliers for that as well. Falling Down and Flawless are to, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman, sure, not and yeah. o- an, an older actor, but you know, Mike pairing Michael Douglas. Um, Did you watch any you of know, Flawless, Duvall, flawless with me? Uh,
0: it's so good. Have you seen that one before, though? No, no,
2: it's really good. So I, so just to kind of add to your list for, of for for flatliners, I think it also, you know, he he's got that that young cast of, you know, the uh, Oliver Platt and Billy Baldwin kind of who are on their way up. And then Julia Roberts who, and Kiefer Sutherland and Kevin Bacon who are, you know, yeah. Main eventers. Right. A-listers. So Laura, what's your, your pick, your, your quintessential. I've not seen enough to do
6: that, but if I had to like pick a name out of a hat or a movie title out of a hat, it would be lost boys,
2: lost boys. I'm going to, I am going to agree with that. I'm going to go with that. That's yeah. and and what's interesting is before we kind of did this retrospective, I would have said Flatliners. Oh, really? For all of for every reason you said. You know, and uh, and
0: the my second pick would have been Lost Boys, but for some reason Flatliners just like Pushed it just a little over the edge for me. What was it about? Uh, oh, Lost and Boys? Kimberly
2: Scott is is in Flatliners, and is she not? Is Kimberly Scott right? Who the actress who she plays Winnie Hicks, grown up Winnie Hicks?
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, oh, and we didn't um, mention so it, which, in, she, in, she, an early. And she's in. We didn't mention an early role for uh, Octavia Spencer in um, A Time to Kill.
2: Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um but yeah, so I um I'm going to go with The Lost Boys for the added I think there's a humor. There's that balance of humor and horror in The Lost Boys and even though like Flatliners to me has that like the got like the the gothic steam and like the poorly lit mm-hmm. men's school and Kiefer Sutherland's crazy blue lit apartment like the it, it flatliners has a little bit more of that than the lost boys, but lost boys has that little, has a touch more of camp yeah, to it and humor. And I, I think he does a great where he has your, uh, in casting your, you know, the, the Corey's and, uh, then you've got on that mid-level Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, Jason Patrick, Alex Winter, uh, Alex Winter pre, pre Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, which by the way, exciting news, Bill and Ted face the music is going to be available, uh, to stream on September 1st. Yeah. So, which is, will make it the number it'll be, it'll win best picture. So <laughs> I'm so excited, but, uh, I, I think the lost boys and then, uh, you know, of course, Edward Herman and Diane Wiest and Barnard Hughes, Barnard Hughes is fantastic. And, the the chemistry between them all, the humor, the excitement, the the mystery, especially when when the first time that Michael goes and rides with David and jumps off the bridge yeah. and eats the eats the maggots. So, uh yeah, I I think for me, I would I would start with Lost Boys. But I, I think flatliners would definitely be my next Man. step.
0: So we're talking about the the Corys. We've talked about Brad Renfro. Uh, I. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about our next episode. We are going to be joined by the author of uh, Child Star, the the new graphic novel uh, by our next guest, Brian "quote unquote" Box Brown uh box has written graphic nonfiction uh he he did one about Andy Kaufman, one about Tetris, the criminalization of weed and uh mm-hmm. Andre the Giant. So oh yeah. okay yeah. So yeah. uh he's going to come on to kick off our next month of films which are going to focus on those child stars since uh since Box is the the author of Child Star. And he is going to... Dan, do you want to let, us, let everybody know what movie we're going to kick it off with? This is Box's choice.
2: Yeah, it's Heavyweights, yeah. Uh, 1995. I am very excited.
0: Never
6: even heard of it. So,
0: talking about Child Stars, we got Keenan Thompson. Ar- Aaron,
2: Aaron
6: Schwartz. Aaron, right,
0: Aaron Schwartz, who's also in uh, Mighty Ducks. Aaron, uh, some of the older yeah. uh, actors that we have... I mean older. They were probably in their twenties at the time, but Ben Stiller, Paul Feig. It's gonna be
2: Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake
0: Nelson. Oh, Sean Weiss. Tim Blake Nelson. Sean Weiss Tim Blake Nelson, who is really great in just mercy. bringing
2: it back. Okay.
0: He is. I'm just saying. All right. So we're
2: no, so I'm excited
6: to see next it. week
0: we're gonna be joined by Box Brown. I'm really excited. We're gonna talk about heavyweights. And Laura, thank you so much for talking some real talk with us.
6: Yes. um, I know
0: it's a little change from what we normally do with you.
6: Right. No, it is uh, for sure. And also there's nothing like speaking off the cuff on a podcast that makes me feel like less of an expert in anything. I just said, so again, encourage anyone who listens and wants an actual like pretty nuanced view to do a little bit more research and read some good books out there. That's fair. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, and uh, if you have any uh, if if you have any questions, please email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com and uh, yeah follow
0: us at ruinedchildhoodspod. Th- this court is adjourned.
6: Order.
2: and <laughs> good jury and good ju- <laughs> ah! <laughs> sustained good jury Good jury everybody. Good jury good jury
1: la 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 long, la 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 long, long long long. Come on. A la la long, A la 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 long, long long long. Hey. Standing across the room, I saw you smile. I said I wanna talk to you for a little while. But before I make my move, my emotions start running wild. My tongue.